This is the Vocal Minority with Nick and Steve. This is your chance to get vocal. Children, I wish to announce that our show has undergone a reformatting. Let's get ready to listen quietly. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? The Vocal Minority. Fellas, think we could listen to the radio or something? The Vocal Minority with Nick and Steve. Radio? <laughs> Who needs a radio? Great heavens, what kind of radio show is this? This is the Vocal Minority with Nick and Steve. Oh, hello there. <laughs> uh, thanks for checking out episode number two of our podcast, The Vocal Minority with Nick and Steve. Uh, hey, this is Steve. So what you're listening to right now, this is actually a continuation of our first show that ran so long, we ended up splitting it into two different episodes. We've been recapping everything that has happened to us since we signed off from our original talk radio show 16 years ago. Well, we're bringing the whole thing back as this podcast, and this whole first show here has been catching up on our lives, uh, and a lot has happened to us. So here's the continuation of our practice show as we dust off the cobwebs and share the raw and sometimes shocking details of our lives. Thanks for checking us out. Find us on social media, help spread the good word. And right now we rejoin our broadcast already in progress. All right, let's let's uh, let's make some more progress here. We, I think we've hit our two-hour goal, by the way. How's everyone hanging in there? I'm fine. Yeah, good. Yeah, I'm fine. Then. Don't I'm, challenge us, yeah. people. We could do this for hours upon hours. We've done it before, we'll do it again. Goddamn right. Hey, Bruschi, did you know that I was a uh, producer of shows? I put together my own original comedy show starring Donald Trump and Barack Obama. It was called Trump versus Obama, a comedy smackdown. It was a brilliant display. No, I did not know that. It was. I got these two hilarious uh, impersonators to uh, to do a show. Bob DeBono did Trump, and uh, uh, Reggie Brown did uh, Obama. These two comedians that just did spot-on impersonations. And so I, I I came up with this crazy idea. What if we had Trump and Obama debate? And so we put a, I put on the show at one of the casinos in Tahoe. It was uh, out on the marquee. It was a big deal. It was fun. Nice. Sold out. It sold out, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm being honest. Did it sell out? No. It, honestly, we had a freaking snowstorm that night. So, like, half the people called. They were like, can we get a refund? I was like, no, no, you can't. But That's get in right. here. But I appreciate you buying a ticket. I also put on a series of concerts. I put on an Ice Cube oh. concert. How oh. That's cool is right. That? Well, you know, he's, he's all a family man now, so you can get away with that sort of thing. Oh, it was not a family-friendly <laughs> show whatsoever. One of the things in my contract said that the performers could not swear well, let me tell you, Ice Cube broke that rule about 7,000 times that night. Uh, well, yeah. Well, I just say that because, you know, after leaving NWA and doing his own solo thing, then he goes some doing Acting movies like, and all that. Are, are we there yet? Yeah. And it's yeah. just like, you lost all your street cred when you were like the, the, the Daddy dumb daycare. dad. Yeah. True. You know. True. <laughs> it was a phenomenal show. I would, I got to tell you, I didn't oh, know I'm what sure. to expect from Ice Cube. And, and it, I mean, it was just, he put on a great freaking concert. I've never seen a rap concert, per se, and we're not even a rap station. I just knew he was a big name and a cool act, and, and uh, yeah, so that was phenomenal. We also did, like, a 90s alt-rock show. 
Oh, who do we have on that, Nick? I know Everclear was the headliner. Uh, Everclear came. Good times. Uh, I'm thinking, uh, what's the, uh, uh, oh, God, why am I blanking right now? We had Fuel. Uh, I remember Fuel was on it. Oh, yeah. good, my old, good. My old buddy from my original high school rock Everlast. band is, is now their drummer. Yeah, Everlast. Was he on the Ice Cube show? He, I think he opened for Ice Cube, actually, Everlast. No, oh, but, 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 the, but, here's so. qu- but here's the question. Did he, rap, did he rap at all? Did he play his guitar? He did a lot. He did some blues rock on the guitar. He did some rapping. He did jump around. He well, did, you know, his solo stuff. It was a good show. Well, well, because th- he has a song from before even when he was in House of Pain called I Got the Knack. And he's he's all like dressed up like in a suit. And he's all like Mr. Slick, you know, handsome rapper guy and that sort of thing. And then when that image didn't work for him, he then shaved his head and grew a goatee, got tattoos. I and joined House of Pain. Then, mm-hmm. then, then after House of Pain, then that's when he started to play that um, Whitey Whitey Ford. Yeah, the Whitey Ford stuff. Yeah, yeah. 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 It was the Whitey yeah. Ford era. It was a great show. Okay. So yeah, we had a bunch of '90s stuff. We Good. did a cool hip hop show. You know, summer concerts. I mean, was that? It outdoors? was a fun show for it sure. Was it outdoors or at a casino? Outdoors. Outdoors. The, in a casino. Oh. It was out back of the Hard Rock Casino in Lake Tahoe. Oh, nice. We did a whole Good summer time. concert series. I mean, we did. We've done some crazy things with this little small town radio station. So. It's not all been stressed, but there's uh, quite a bit of it. So I want to go well, to your Halloween thing. Yeah, we do this huge Halloween party for kids every year. Biggest uh, kid Can Halloween I show party up, up here. Uh, I don't Can know. I Will the courts allow that? Well, well I think so. <laughs> I, besides, I'll, I'll, I'll wear a mask, too. We'll, oh, we'll perfect. Right. Right. Will it be one of your wrestling masks? Listen. Well, Nick, 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 you have to understand. I have quite the collection of Lucha masks. And actually, one of my Lucha masks also has complete tights and boots that go with it. That's wow. what, if you show up. Sorry, go if ahead. you show up wearing that, you could come to this next treat street. Okay, well, I will hear. I, I will, will say share. the cops do show up every now and again, and you know, run people through a certain database. But I think you're fine. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think you'll be all right. Can you see that? Oh my god! Yes, I can. Bruski's showing it, pictures Bruce of himself King. in uh, Mexican wrestling costumes. And he's at a Halloween party. You know, no, actually, I'm, too, so. I'm, I'm in front of my parents' house, actually. All right. Well, I there's asked, ghosts. I, well, I asked my dad. I said, Dad, did you notice that that ghost right there looked like a condom? A little it bit. It does You're look right. like a condom. He looks like he has a little bit of uh, load on his tongue, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, if I'm being exactly. honest. And of, course, and, of course, Cadillac Jack said to me that I was fucking soft, and he started laughing and shaking his head. <laughs> Why did you? Is that the relationship you had with your oh, father? Oh, no, you have to understand. With my my dad, my dad would always be like, "You're fucking soft." He just like shake his head, but that was a good thing because he's laughing at your joke and that sort of thing. Right? You he thought you were funny. I'm sure. Let's be honest. No, believe me. We we could do eight shows on the very complicated relationship between Cadillac Jack and me. Just, oh, well, I'm sure we could do a lot of hours on all of our yeah, father-son you know, relationships. You, yeah. you know you know that goes and that sort of thing. But, yeah, so actually my dad is the one that took that picture. Nice. That's a fantastic shot, Brewski. Yeah, That's you just can a, come. a loving father in the Boston area. <laughs> you fucking pussy. Get out of here. <laughs> you soft. Uh, okay, let's see here. Um, all right, now in 2016, again, this is going to have to just be a whole other show, but uh, Trump. You know, I mean, we, we oh, entered... are we, oh, where's twenty? Uh, tw- I want miss twenty fifteen. Is that where we were? Uh, we kind of bounced around the mid twenty teens there. What what, oh, what do you got from that era? 
Uh, well, I uh, received my first foster child in oh. 2015. Yeah. So Nick and Rachel uh, have been forever now trying to adopt a kid. You guys aren't able to conceive naturally, so you're trying to adopt a kid, which is beyond noble for you. And the no, fact- we are. We just thought this sounded more fun. <laughs> sure, sure. And, and a, but an older kid, too, like a, a teenager, which... Well, that's, yeah, you're right. That's- well, that's how it happened. I don't know if that's what you're looking for, right? Uh, well, here's the thing. I'll tell you how that whole thing went down. I mean, originally... So this is the deal. I don't know if most people know this or not, but to adopt a child, it's a good thing abortions are being banned, so we'll have a lot more to figure out. But... Uh, as far as children and adoption goes, it's very expensive to adopt a child. Right. Uh, Which I, lo- I'm so sick of people saying, like, you know, don't do abortion, just adopt. Everyone's looking to adopt. You guys have shown what a tremendous pain in the ass it is to try, let alone succeed. We'll I'm, adopt your baby. Yeah, of course you will. I can tell you this that my cousin, who has, her and her husband couldn't conceive and wanted to be parents and they have adopted two children not through the state they've gone through adoption agencies and and such uh it's they are well into it for close to three hundred and seventy five thousand dollars for for two kids yes wow and wait till you get the kid then it really gets expensive exactly yeah. it gets expensive and then you know it's just uh thrown into you you, you don't know uh what the whole pregnancy was like you don't know uh what their medical right. conditions the might history. be you know it's just it's it's a lot yeah. so <clears throat> rachel and i had decided you know what there's so many kids in the state in the system of foster care that we were going to go through the foster care system so We've been going through this process for many years, and we've had to like re-up our license a couple of times because uh, while they don't require anything from these parents that are failing miserably as parents, right. <laughs> uh, we are, I mean, I've got background checks worldwide several times over. I mean, my bank accounts are yearly analyzed to see what I'm spending my money on. You know, my blood and piss is drawn to see if there's anything in my system that shouldn't be, you know. So, I mean, it's very, it's a very invasive, expensive process. So the first go round, we were, you know, selfishly, we were like, you know what, I would like to have a child that is from one day old up until like three years old. That was the age range we were looking at. Yeah. Was very hard because yeah. that's what most people want. Yep. And, Everyone uh, wants a puppy. No one wants a dog, right? They don't want the broken kid. And it makes you feel very guilty to go after that age range because you feel like, you know, you are picking the puppy. You don't want anything broken, you know. But. But uh, so a couple of good friends of ours, and you guys all know Danny Stewart, and his mm-hmm. wife is a rape trauma nurse at Harborview Hospital in Seattle. With that program, they also see uh, foster kids for checkups, for medical checkups. Mm-hmm. And uh, his wife uh, was a nurse there, and she was like, she knew our journey, and she was like, you know, I know you guys are looking for a younger child, but. Uh, there is a girl that comes in here and she is looking, you know, for a home and everything. And she is just wonderful. And every time I see her, I think about you guys. 
but she's 12 years old. <clears throat> and we were like, well, maybe we've been looking at all of this wrong. So we go into this journey of meeting this girl and spending six months getting to know her while she lived at this particular group home and then brought her into our, our house. And, uh, it was a wild ride, dude. It was nothing like I could have ever imagined. You can't understand how broken some of these kids are. Yeah. Uh, uh, stuff that you would imagine. Uh, I don't even see in the movies, dude. I mean, stuff that I heard about what happened to her and some of these other kids. I just think to myself, like, it doesn't even seem humanly possible that somebody could dream that up yeah. you know, to yeah. do that. So it obviously leaves them emotionally wrecked and sometimes physically wrecked so that that was the year that we got our first foster daughter and while i thought that that was probably going to be a forever thing and in fact promised myself this is going to be a forever thing like i won't stop trying and i won't let it go and it became to a point where that was out of my hands it was taken out of my hands for me which i appreciate now looking back on it because uh this particular girl had been to 14 different foster homes in two years wow wow and uh two people that had her divorced because of her wow you know so i mean it could have really i i i look at it as i i shouldn't say a blessing because it's awful that I thought to myself, well, she's now going to go back into foster care and yeah, probably right. turn 18 and be aged out and have no chance at life, you know. So Listen, uh, if I, you guys couldn't make that work, nobody possibly could have. Any kid would be lucky to have you and Rachel as their parents. And the yeah. fact that the state dropped a kid in your lap without giving you any of the backstory, any of the history is yeah. just inexcusable to say the least. Yeah, it was really messed up, and I left that part out as far as, like, you know, it was interesting because, like, there's certain things as you're going through this process that you have to say, like, um, oh, yeah, we're willing to take on a child who has medical needs or who might have autism. You know, you have to go over this whole list of what you are able to do and what you're not able to do. Yeah. And going over that list for the first time makes you feel like a real pile of shit, dude. Because you're like, uh, oh, yeah, I mean, look, if they are dying, like, I don't have the heart to do it. And that sucks, you know. Like, it was a hard thing to turn some of those things down. But, like, one of the easy ones for me was is that my wife at the time, this is pre-pandemic, obviously, traveled a ton. So we couldn't have anyone that had had sexual... uh, abuse happened to them because oh. they were going to oh. be alone with alone me a with lot, you, a male. You know? yeah, sure. So I was like, you know, that's high up on our list. Like that can't happen. So, uh, like I said, we spent five and a half months getting to know this little girl and like going every weekend to spend the days with her and everything. And then she gets put into our home, like three days after she gets put into our home, I go out to the mailbox and there is a pack, like a manila envelope that's about an inch and a half thick. And I'm, and it's from the state. So we wait until she goes to bed and we tear into it. And we're like, oh my gosh. It's the, the whole story. Oh, the sexual abuse that happened to this little girl is something you wouldn't wish on 
Osama bin Laden. I mean, yeah. it's it's just awful, awful stuff. And I'm like, she had been prostituted, right? Yeah, her mother had prostituted her out. Yeah, I mean, she was 12, and when she was with her mom at the oldest, she was nine. So, you know, and it's you know, she had I think she had seven siblings, and oh all of them down to two years old had been prostituted. Ugh. Jesus. <clears throat> so yeah, I mean, like there's stuff abuse, that makes... and then there's just over the top abuse, and that's what this poor wow. girl went through. Yeah, and it's just stuff that you know, like you know, oh, if I saw that in real life, I would just kill that person. <laughs> you know, like I mean, it's awful stuff. So the abuser, now... not the kid, people. Of course. <laughs> well, <thank you. laughs> I just want to clarify. <laughs> yes, uh, but now she's in my house. I've spent five and a half months building a relationship with her. She cares about me. I care about her, and and uh, I can't kick her out now. I can't be like, oh, I found some stuff out about you. You got to go. Well, of course. Yeah. So but we kept with that her. sort of story comes a lot of baggage. Oh, so much baggage, dude, that I had no idea, and I had no right. training for I was going to say an expert yeah. could not have dealt with that situation, and obviously you guys don't have the training for it. So when, uh, you know, uh, she finally did uh, leave our house, and like I said, the state, I I don't want to give away complete details because there's some discretion there, but uh, when the state removed her and put her back into group home care, uh, it was heartbreaking, dude. Like, I, there was part of me that felt like, obviously, like I failed you. But I was so fucking pissed off, dude, that, like, you guys knew about this shit the whole time, and we we spent five and a half, six months getting to know her, that you could have been putting us through classes to help her fucking deal with this shit. Yeah. You set this up to fucking fail, dude. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, I mean, that pissed me off so bad. This is the system. Yes. So it took me a long time to heal from that. And, you know, like Steve mentioned, like, we've been going through this for a long time, and part of the dragging the feet is after this situation where I was too broken. I didn't want to go through it again. Yeah. So. Understandable. 2015 was just, that was a fucked year for us. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there were some good parts to it, too. Uh, this little girl was fantastic in a lot of ways, and I would love to know. I would yeah, love to know. Happened. Hopefully, I would love to know where she is now. But, uh, brother, I felt so terrible for both you and Rachel going through that because I could see at first how happy you were that you finally had a chance to be a parent and have a kid in your life, and then it just you, you were set up to fail, like you said, and it was yeah. just such a disgusting commentary on how the system works and such bullshit for people that say like, just adopt a kid, all of these unwanted kids, like, no, fuck you. The whole system is warped and twisted. And like you said, you're going to go bankrupt before you even get a kid, let alone how much it then costs to actually raise a child. A hundred percent. And that is with everything that's obviously going on in our world right, right now with the whole Roe v. Wade thing. It, it infuriates me to hear people say, like, you know, uh, oh, we got we to gotta save these lives, dude. But then you don't give a fuck what happens to them after right. they come out. Exactly. Yeah. And you don't, finan- don't want to financially support them. You've made that clear to us. Uh, and you don't want to emotionally support them because right. it sounds real cute to adopt a child. But uh, 
people, kids who have been adopted uh, and people who have adopted will tell you that it's not a rosy story. Like sometimes it can end up okay and sometimes it ends up great, but it's not a smooth sailing road. Nope. Surrogacy, private adoption firms, all that stuff is going to cost you even tenfold more than that. And none of that is guaranteed either. And there's all sorts of complications. So, 100%. Yeah. No, I have, uh, I have felt for you as you guys have gone through that struggle. And, um, yeah, it, it's just it's just disheartening. You guys, yeah. you guys someday will be phenomenal parents. And it's just disgusting to me that you had such struggle. The whole, like, you know, any two morons can have a kid. But if you want to adopt one, you have to go through every hurdle you've been talking about and here you are 2022 still no kid well i'm at the age i'm 46 fucking years old you know uh if i get a two-year-old right now you know what that fucking means for me dude like (laughs) i have dreams (laughs) i have dreams of retirement and uh, travel with my wife you know like uh i i always dreamed i would be a father i did not think i would be a father slash grandfather at the same time you know what do you think about someone like Richard Gere having a kid at age 78 or whatever he is? He's know? got au pairs, dude. He's got nannies. I, I think know, but how great. fucked up is that for that poor kid? They're never going <laughs> to oh, know their father. Course. He'll be oh, dead and yeah. gone by yeah. the time they're a teenager at the Yeah, it's 100%. It Tony Randall had a kid really late, too. He was in his mid-70s. It's just selfish. I, I know their wives are young and hot, but uh, no, it's it's insane. It, you it know, is. So. You know, about a, year, about a year into Jen and I being together and it was obvious we were going to get married. Uh, her mother started asking me, and we're at like Thanksgiving at her mother's house. And her mother says, uh, "So when are you two going to start working on having a, a grandchild for us and that sort of thing?" And I looked at her and I was like, "Well, Darlene, I'm telling you right now, uh, I got this uh, cute little 15 year old Korean girl I've had my eye on for some time now." <laughs> <laughs> and and Dar- and Darlene, her mother. No, you have to understand. So her mother was head of the um, King County GOP. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and, and both the mother and the stepfather and also Jen's real father, super, super conservative. Wow. Everything. So when I said that, and of course, everyone's around at the table, everyone's just like, what did he just say? <laughs> oh, like that. that was priceless, and, dude. But, but the Jen like hit everyone. Relax. That's what she said. <laughs> she's like, he's just joking, ma. And then she looked at me. And while she's saying, he's just joking, I'm doing this. Taking my head saying, no, I'm no, not. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's uh, funny, dude. Yeah, life. It's been fun. Uh, okay, so yeah, there's another depressing story. And then into 2016, which is the start of the Donald Trump era, which is an even more depressing era. I don't know. I, I don't even know what to say about it. Obviously, none of us were fans of that era. I lamented every single day of it. I uh, opined for the days of George W. Bush. Uh, I am aghast at anyone who found that whole debacle to be acceptable, let alone inspirational. So there's going to be shows and topics that are going to deal heavily with those with those four years and what is to come in the next few years. So I don't know how much needs to be said on the topic, but I'll, I'll hand it over to you two. Yeah, I don't know that a ton needs to be said. I will tell you this for a preview down the line that a 2016 uh when uh, the votes were coming in, we were all watching our TVs. My wife, who is, you know, would do anything for Hillary Clinton, was so excited that the, at the possibility of Hillary Clinton being our president. And honestly, I got to tell you that I was, too. I don't know that 
obviously for that race, I didn't feel like there was anyone more qualified. And uh, I got to tell you, dude, I think she may have been the most qualified person that we've seen in a long time, in my opinion. Yeah. But uh, so my wife was out of town as the votes were coming in. She was at a bar in D.C. watching all this come down. And we're on the phone, you know, every two hours. And I can hear her getting drunker and drunker as the night goes on. And it's like things are good in the beginning of the night. We're like, yeah, yeah, things are looking great. (laughs) And as the the tide starts to switch, she's like, uh, oh, shit, what the fuck is going on here? Like we all were. Uh, She made several predictions that night that I was like, calm down. You've had a lot to drink. There's no way that that's going to happen. And a lot of the shit that she predicted that night came true. And uh, I feel a little bit foolish. And she's always like, uh, uh, I don't I don't take any joy in the fact that I was right about that. I wish I wouldn't have been. But yeah. yeah we've I seen, was one uh, of those in 2016 that was like, come on, Trump's not going to win. I mean, how we're not going to elect some moron reality show, you know, wannabe bankrupt tycoon. Like, it's not going to happen. We're going to be all right. And then, yeah, that same thing that night. I remember James Carville coming on uh, watching the votes, and he was like, I don't know, people. This is starting to not look good. And then it just all spiraled from there. And I remember I fell asleep somewhere around midnight or something, and I woke up at 2 or 3 in the morning, West Coast time, and Trump was giving his speech. And I, oh. I, I mean, I just I wanted to throw up. And I spent the next probably month just in this, like, I'm not watching the news. I'm not going on Twitter. I'm not going on Facebook. Like, I just, I, I, I was. I had I to, was, too. This nice old lady, you know, that's really what Hillary was. A nice old lady who was completely qualified and would have done a perfectly fine job. Had and, a lot you know, of experience. Any of you well, fuckers that were like, at least I didn't vote for Hillary. Like, look what has happened with the Supreme Court, with the laws that have been passed well, or struck down. Like, fuck you for thinking elections well, don't have consequences. Well, Steve, but, but to that point... You actually have to go back to uh, the John Kerry election. Uh, the, no, the, the Al Gore election, pardon me. The Al Gore election, because all those fuckers that did the protest votes for Ralph Nader, that yeah. most, at least half of those 34,000 people who voted, voted for, for Ralph Nader, at least half of those people would have normally voted for the Democratic candidate. Okay. Yep. Yep. Now, if, if Gore wins, right? Then Bush doesn't get to nominate Scalia, not Scalia, um, uh, John Roberts, and um, oh shit, I can't remember the other guy's name. Fuck. Doesn't uh, matter. So, so, Samuel Alito and John Roberts. Hmm, so Samuel Alito and John Roberts. Yeah, exactly. So those two justices are not on the Supreme Court if Al Gore wins that election. Not at all. Yeah, and and so and and we don't even have the, the what we have now with the Supreme Court. Now, as for the Trump election, um, you know, I voted for Hillary. I wasn't happy about it. I literally held my nose and voted because I wasn't happy with her as a candidate. But yeah. at the same time, I knew what the alternative was. Sure. That yeah. was my Biden vote. You know, I think that was a lot of people's Biden vote. But uh, you're 100% right. That whole voting for Nader set a dangerous precedent <clears throat> of people not realizing that there's not going to be enough votes to make that ever fucking ha- happen. 
and you're going to get something that you're very unhappy with yeah. if you decide to take a stand. And I well, am so sick of people saying, I don't love this candidate, so I'm just not going to vote. Like, no, you're not supposed uh, to love the candidate. You're supposed to pick the one that aligns the most with you and go do your duty and vote for, I don't care if it's the lesser of two evils, you don't vote for evil. And if you correct. don't vote, you're by default are voting for the winner. So any of you fuckers that sat out the 2016 election, you voted for Trump. And we have fucked the entire country since then. Well, but they, they you know, in they my always never humble say, opinion. <laughs> they always say Democrats fall in love, Republicans fall in line. Yes, and, that's and, what you got to do, people. I know people hate that it's a two-party system, but it is, okay? That's just what that's it just, is. Yeah, exactly. So pick a team and get behind it and vote. Yes. Yeah, and, they, and, they, and like you said, Steve, they may not be exactly with what everything that, that you want, but who closely more aligns with your values and what you believe? Yeah. Not who matches up with you 99% or anything like that. Yeah. And I'll tell I, you, Hillary lost for a couple of reasons, and they're sad reasons. One of them, and we'll talk about this as a whole segment, but Fox News. Uh, Fox News is what has destroyed this country with their bullshit propaganda and fake news channel. And they branded Hillary as a liar for years and years and years. Yeah. And that is proof that marketing works when you repeat a message over and over. I remember yeah. college kids in the 2016 election saying, I don't know, she's a liar. You're 18. Where did you get that from? Because your parents have had Fox News on for your entire life. So you've been hearing over and over she's a liar. So that took her down a few pegs. The whole James Comey announcing a few days before the election yeah. that the investigator shot her in the foot. And then the one thing I didn't see coming, sexism. There was 1% or 2% of the people out there that just simply said, I'm not voting for a woman. Don't want it. Not going to vote for a woman. So when you add up each of those little one or two point dings, that's how she lost. And it's a sad commentary. Uh, it's yes, and I think that there is a, to to be added to the bucket of reasons why she lost. This was really interesting that uh, Howard Stern kept uh, asking Hillary Clinton to come on the air with him, you know, and uh, she kept denying, kept denying, kept denying, and uh, he was talking about the whole time, like I don't understand why you're not coming on a demographic of people that I reach that that you need to be fucking talking to. I don't understand it. Yeah. Well, after she lost and she had written her book and everything else, she came on CERN's show and they talked about it for a long time. It was a really interesting conversation. And even she self-admittedly said, I stayed away from all these media outlets that would have provided an audience for me that weren't hearing me at all. Yeah. And a she lot was of afraid those of the stench obviously a hundred percent. So, uh, and a lot of those were, uh, Bernie fans. And once they knew, uh, you know, Bernie wasn't uh, going to be here anymore. They didn't have anywhere to go except for, Oh, I don't like either. I'm not going to vote. And well, like you said, you fucked this up real good with that one. Yep. Well, and, and, and to, if I could throw just two quick things here. Uh, number one, I also think that another thing that worked for Trump was you gave, even people who didn't like Trump, you gave Republicans someone to vote against. I mean, there's no yeah. arch enemy in, the, in this world. Yeah, that's the sure. Fox News branding took, I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah they made exactly. her an enemy. Yeah. Exactly. But, but you gave them uh, something to vote against rather than voting for Trump. Yeah. Yes. And, then the, and secondly... Steve, there's a really great article written by Gawker several years ago called the Fox News Blueprint. And they actually have the handwritten notes of Roger Ailes. So Roger Ailes used to work for Richard Nixon in the Nixon White House 
as um, a media consultant because you know was after Nixon the whole, I it was Reagan. No, Nixon. Oh. No, because what because what happened was N- Nixon for the first time the presidential candidates were on TV. It was Nixon against Kennedy, and what happened was Nixon didn't have um, the right people kind of make him look good on TV and he looked really old and gaunt and Kennedy looked all handsome and he sounded really good and that sort of thing and then after he lost that election he ended up um, hooking up with Roger Ailes and then uh, Nixon took when Nixon ran for president after LBJ decided not to run um, he had Roger Ailes as a media consultant and Roger Ailes worked in the White House and Roger Ailes in his notes says that we need to create a news network that espouses yes. conservative opinions because it's easy to program our message into people that are sitting down watching TV. Yes. You can just take the message and put it right in their brain. Yeah. And they saw exactly the effect the news has on public opinion. So they thought, what if we had a news channel that was uh, espousing our opinion, which is not what news is, you fucking evil and that monsters. Was, and that was, that, was <laughs> ni- that was 1971 when Roger Ailes... 7071 when Roger Ailes created the blueprint for Fox News. Yeah. It's it's handwritten notes in a notebook. They have pictures of the notes. Yeah. And, and you know, I, there was one time, like, one of the Fox News anchors held up notes on air from the Republican Party, like, talking points. Like, they are in bed with each other. It is oh, not yes. news. They called it fair and balanced on purpose because they know it, it's it, it's that counter-messaging. If we tell you it's fair and balanced, you're going to assume yes. it is. But yeah. it wasn't. It never was. And it is the reason our country is so divided. I know oh, we've yeah. been doing that for a while, but Fox News just blew that rift up, and they are responsible for the disdain and hatred that is going on in this country nowadays. And we'll talk all about that one day because most people don't understand how corrupt of a media outlet they are, and they're not news at all. It's just propaganda. It's you know CNN's they're not, fault, dude. CNN's you know, fake news. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, uh, Fox News is not allowed uh, to broadcast in the U.K., because it doesn't meet their uh, truth and journalism standards? Uh, I'm not sure what, what the actual uh, reasoning is, but Rupert Murdoch, who owns newspapers in uh, the in the UK, like The Sun and that sort of thing, uh, Fox News cannot be broadcast in England. Uh, it was for a while, but I think it was as of less than 10 years ago, they actually uh, took away their broadcast license to, to air, and not even on cable yeah. or satellite. There's a reason why years ago they made laws about truth in advertising, because Congress realized that advertising is powerful. It does work. When you repeat a message over and over, it does weigh into people's heads. And if you use that power for evil, it will do bad things like Fox News. So we passed these truth in advertising laws, and then those laws just kind of disappeared at one point. And this is what, you know, is the result of it. When you abuse the media, you can start wars. So Well, Steve, you know the three frequency. What like if mean? somebody in sales, radio sales, they always say that three frequency, like you want to hear a message three times yes. in a row yeah. and then it stays with people. So it's, yep. it's the same thing with Fox News. Minimum three times a day, seven days a week. Yep. So, yeah. So we'll talk more about all that someday because it's a big fucking problem. So we'll get there. Uh, is anyone else got something around the 2016, 17 era? I got 2018 stuff on my list. I've got, I know I got nothing, dude. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, one fun thing that happened in 2018, I uh, I rediscovered an old love in my life. Uh, oh, yes, yes sir. You, you started uh, working at log shows and right. doing <laughs> <things> <laughs> operations. 
dirt bikes, everybody. Dirt bikes came back to my life. And you want to know why? Because this is a really sad, we've had so many sad stories of this thing. But as I mentioned, when I became GM and owner, I got stressed to hell. And it was, it was rippling through my whole life. I was a, I was a basket case. And so I started uh, back into personal therapy, which I've done on and off throughout my whole life. And my first session with this new therapist, she said, um, so tell me, what, what are your hobbies? What do you, what do, you do for fun? And that's what I said right there. I was like, I don't know. I work. I pay bills. I provide. And then she's like, no, what do you do for fun? I was like, well, I ski. She's like, oh, okay. How many times a year do you ski? I was like, yeah, twice, three times maybe. She's like, yeah, like you need some hobbies. And I realized like my life was completely devoid of anything but just working and providing for the family. And growing up in Michigan, I rode dirt bikes and I loved it. And then when I, you know, got into the real world in my 20s, like dirt bikes, you can't keep those in an apartment. They're not cheap. And you know, you need places to ride. So I got completely out of that. And then I realized this part of the uh, Sierra Nevada that I live in, we have an epic amount of trails around here. So yeah, I got back into dirt biking and I can't even tell you how much I love it, even though it's banged me up a few times and cost me a lot of money. You've almost died a couple of times, dude. What? It's stretching Bruski, a little. He's almost died a couple of times. Don't say it's stretching it a little. Uh, this is the same guy who told me that he wrapped his car around a tree when it was a branch. Uh, the car so was you... around a tree. That's <laughs> no, the definition of wrapping a, around a tree. It's a branch, there was dude. A, a branch we're not going to get back well. into it. So it was wrapped <laughs> yes, around the tree. Not, <laughs> you you know. made it sound terrifying. But <laughs> now... Uh, you will tell Brewski about your latest motor motorcycle escapade, dude, oh, that you got into. For the audience, I'll admit to sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I don't want to talk about my abusive dirt bikes, but no. So, dude, I'll make it a, a short story. A couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago at this point, I I went off the I went off a trail. I was out in the mountains, and I decided I was gonna go off the trail and connect through the through go down a hill, little small. Hill. Broke the first rule of Fight Club, dude. Yeah, so I, I went off the trail, and it was a dumb decision. And it turned out not to be a little hill. It turned out to be a gigantic canyon with a river at the bottom of it. And I was cutting down the steep side of this hill trying to get to the bottom. And I I tumbled down the hill multiple times. A bike <laughs> fell on me. I'm deadlifting the bike in the middle of the woods. Take I, it. I almost impaled myself on a branch. It, like, stuck into my rib cage, and I slammed on the brakes. And like, Go easy. That's the part I could have died at, because if I had suffered a chest wound out in the middle of nowhere, I had no cell service. I ended, up, I ended up stuck in the bottom of a canyon inside this wash where I had uh, a four-foot wall on either side of my dirt bike. Uh, up the hill was nothing but boulders, and down the hill, like three more feet to my left, was a drop-off into this river, which was full of boulders. So here I am, no cell service. I am beat to crap from, you know, tumbling down the hill several times, lifting the bike. And I thought, like, I can't get this bike out of here. Like, I'm going to have to abandon my dirt bike and hike out of here. And so I, uh, I did this little trick that I've seen enduro riders do. And I sat on the back of the bike. I uh, put in first gear, revved the throttle, let go of the clutch, jumped off the back of the bike. And I sent my bike just launching up this four-foot berm. It shot hey there. Five feet up in the air and crashed down on these boulders. I bent my handlebars. I broke my rear brake. I fucked up oh. my suspension. I mean, the bike was hobbled to say the least, but still yeah. functioning. And I somehow managed to stumble my way out of these woods back into civilization. 
Took me hours. I almost lost my bike. I almost impaled myself. I was completely oh exhausted. Gosh. I'm still fixing the bike right now. I mean, I did hundreds <laughs> of dollars of damage to it, but I almost didn't come home with it. So I consider it a victory. And by the way, it was man versus nature out there. Like I fucking manned up and survived out there. Huffing my 250 pound bike through the desolate wilderness. And by the way, I was riding in a spot that is super popular around here. People have been riding there for like 60 years. There was there are trails everywhere in this area except this canyon I was in because nobody else is dumb enough to go where I decided to go. So I was totally fucked out there in the middle of nowhere, and somehow I made it out of there. And so, somehow you have justified it, this as a her- heroic story. Well, in part <laughs> it is. In part Man it is. versus terrain. But right? I have fully admitted that I fucked up. I should not have gone off the trail. <laughs> I should have turned around. I shouldn't have done any of that. It cost me a lot of time and money. It beat the crap out of my body. A year ago, I was fighting with somebody. who well, We haven't gotten to that part of the story yet. Uh, and I, I crashed my dirt bike and I tore my rotator cuff. I spent a year oh. in rehab and in a splint. And one point over the holidays, I gained like 30 pounds because I couldn't work out anymore. I wasn't riding the dirt bike. It was, it was fun. But I have a lot of fun riding that bike. So. Yeah, That's too. Really Your therapist told you to do hobbies, <laughs> dude, and this is what you've come to. Yeah. So that's a, that's a great joy. That's a good story, Nick. This was not meant to be a depressing story. This no, is a it's good not depressing thing. at all. Uh, I thought you were going to... What's that movie where... Uh, what's the movie where the writer gets caught in the lady's house, Annie hobbles the guy? Uh, oh, uh, Misery. Oh, uh, misery. misery, yeah. Yes. I, thought, I thought you were close. You were close to a Misery-type situation. Well, I, I was dude. because when I finally made my way down this whole long canyon, I came upon a structure... And I thought, like, if there's a structure, there's got to be a way to get to it. So I come out from the backside of this, what I discovered was a house. So this is somebody living in rural middle of nowhere, Nevada. Uh, and I, my first thought was, I just survived getting through this canyon. Now I'm going to get shot because some redneck's going to come out and say, what are you doing, boy? <laughs> yeah, yeah like, these are the folks that have the signs that are like, we don't dial 911. Right. <laughs> we just drag the body inside. Yes, exactly. So this was the original deal, Brewski, is when Steve started riding his motorcycle, especially after, well, I guess I can't get to that point in the story now. I, uh, when Steve started riding his bike, oftentimes he was out there alone. Yeah. And the deal was, is that if you're out in, uh, the vast wilderness that, Hey, send me your location before you ride. Yeah. And then that way, if you don't come back, I can generally tell the authorities where to go look. Yeah. And I've always been good about that. Have I not? Always been real good about it, dude. But right. this this time, I got no location mark, dude. No, you didn't. But I had somebody else <laughs> keeping tabs on me, and they were unaware of the peril I was in. And at, the, <laughs> at, at a certain point, I kept sending them pins like every quarter of a mile because I kept thinking, like, if my phone dies or I lose cell service, I need to leave a cr- uh, you know trail of breadcrumbs here. So Did they have any questions? Why yeah, they at one were point, they were like, these? yeah, I, I get where you're at. I'm like, yeah, yeah, all's good out here. I hope you're having fun. <laughs> Oh, you were hiding it. I oh, see. yeah. I figured I was, I seriously at one point had a thought in my head of like, all right, if I have to call and ask for help, like, how am I doing this? Send out the helicopter kind of thing. And how do I admit that I need help without being a total moron <laughs> about it? But yeah, this is the, this is what was going on in my head out there. I shut my phone off at one point because I didn't want the battery to die. I mean, I was getting into like survival mode out there. Sun was starting to go down. I mean, <laughs> Misery was right around the corner, dude. Were you, were you looking for grubs to eat? Like, you, like, 
Bear Grylls. I would have gotten there. Trust me. You I would have preferred to camp out there with my bike than abandon it. So yes. drinking your own urine and everything. I do that regularly. So yes. Oh, well, I am proud of man. you for uh, getting it out of there, doing great. And you know what? You've got you've got your bike back to almost a hundred percent, dude. Good right. for you. Yes. What doesn't You're kill champion. you? Cost you a lot of money. That's the model <laughs> I, going by now. So, so yeah. So got that great love back in my life. Um, my uh, my daughter Haley in 2018 uh, came out of the closet to me. She oh. was uh, at that age, like 12 or 13, and she came yeah. out as gay. And I think when she first came out, she was expecting. You know, she hears a lot of stories about parents. You know, how to be an asshole. No, no kid of mine is going to be gay or any of that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Right. I mean, I practically threw a parade. I, I I was so happy for, as you guys know, I have, I've been fighting for gay rights my entire radio career and beyond. My aunt was gay. My cousin is gay. Uh, they were uh, advocates and champions in the in the world of gay marriage equality and all that kind of stuff. So, when my daughter came out as gay, honestly, my first thought was, "Good, no guy will ever get his hands on my daughter." That is uh, that is a blessing right there. <laughs> right. And yeah, I couldn't have been happier for her. So. So the harness legacy continued on down to my offspring. So perfectly fine and happy with all that. Yeah, we had a uh, conversation. It was a uh, great conversation. The first time I came into town after she came out to you, uh, her aunt Rachel and I took her out, and I think we went out to get coffee or something like that. But uh, she came out to us while we were out, and it was done – I was just, uh, I was blown away and impressed. And I, well, first of all, I could tell that she was a little bit nervous. I could tell that she had something to tell me and I didn't know, and I didn't know what it was at the time. So, uh, I could tell she was nervous. And when she told us, obviously we were, you know, like, wow, that is such a great thing for you to be able to come out and do. I'm so happy that you are into being you and, you know. Yep. Gave her all the things that she needed to hear. But, dude, I was so impressed. She's an old soul. I mean, that's yes. just the bottom line. She's an old soul and uh, very brave because she came out at school and, and with her friends where, you know, that's not definitely not always the easiest thing to do, especially coming from our generation. I know what happened to kids that did that. Yes. Uh, in our day and age. Yeah, and, she's uh, lucky to be in the best time in history to be gay. Oh, yeah, absolutely. For sure. Yes. But, so, yeah, and we're I in was... California, so, you know, almost everyone's very accepting of it. And Yeah, but it was a big deal. So I was uber impressed, and I was also, uh, it made me a little emotional, dude, that she included me in that conversation. Yeah, that... you understand that both of my kids love you and Rachel to the moon and beyond. Yeah, I feel lucky for that, dude. I feel like that's the truth, and I mean the feeling is mutual. And uh, yeah, I do. I do feel that. I feel that from them both. But uh, yeah, it was just something that I felt lucky to be a part of. I guess. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> on that same topic, I'll fast forward just slightly for this part of the story, and this is something that I honestly would like to dissect a little further on some other show. But uh, about two years later, during uh, during COVID, um, my daughter Haley came out to me as non-binary gender neutral which mm-hmm. this is a whole thing going on nowadays and i've been wrapping i've been trying to wrap my head around exactly what it is to be to be no gender to not be male to not be female she's not transgender trans is going from one gender to another 
non-binaries, you're just sort of stopping in the middle. I figured out that basically what this is, it, it's a protest. Like her generation wants to, you know, push Not be defined. The, yeah, I, they don't want the label yeah. of man or woman. So sure. they're 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 sticking it to us with this protest that it doesn't, you know, it's like blocking traffic. You're like, what the hell? I don't get it. But that's the point. It's it's shaking the cage. So right, right. they came out as uh, as non-binary, gender neutral, and uh, my daughter Haley changed her name to Neo, which is not a Matrix reference. But now everyone asks me, just like when I say my son is Crosby, they're like, "Oh, you're a Bing Crosby fan." Now everyone says, "Oh, you must be a big <laughs> Matrix fan because you named your kid Neo." No, my kid named themselves Neo, and uh, so yeah, I've been having a very I, I'm totally fine with it, right? Like, I get what the point is, and uh, the only things I ever struggled with were the pronouns, changing yes. they, you know, he and she to they and them. Like, it's difficult to say they, because normally they is plural or whatever, you know, so I've had a little struggle with that, wrapping my head around it, but... It's definitely a stop and think before speaking. Yeah, and I to mess try it up and all the time right. still. And I, I just immediately correct myself, and and they don't care. But uh, but yeah, that part was difficult. And when she when they first told me, see what I'm saying? Um, they could tell that I was taken aback. And I I don't know that I've ever explained this to them correctly. But the thing that hurt me about it was that I named her Haley. I was the one that came up with Haley. Right. And my wife agreed, obviously. But um, yeah, it was a little hurtful that she rejected the name that I gave her. And that was only, that's a selfish thing. Like, that means nothing sure. to the rest of society. I know all sorts of people professionally changed their name and all that. I'm totally fine with it. But that was the only thing that sort of was uh, took me aback, was just that you uh, rejected the name that I have given you. But um, I, I, I grew up, uh, you know, uh, protesting lefty liberal, long hair, piercings, all that stuff. So my kids are never going to get any pushback from me for being the conservative old dad who says, how dare you change your name or go along with this newfangled thing. Like, I don't know where it's going. I just know where it is. I love my kids. So if this is what they want to do, it's completely fine. And for those of you that are rubbed the wrong way by it, it's just I, I would encourage you to question why that is and why changing a norm is such a big fucking deal to you. It's now, an interesting thing because, uh, oh, I didn't mean to cut you off. If you're still going, please. No, go ahead. Go. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, well, from the outside looking in, when uh, Neo uh, told us their name, uh, the only thing that I could see, it was, it's obviously an adjustment because you and I had the whole conversation, you know, where... Uh, uh, you almost feel like a person died, you know, uh, in a, well, in a, a sense. Name. You know, that's what they call it. Right. It's a, yeah, right. So a person died. So uh, grieving that loss, I don't think would be offensive hmm. as long as you were embracing the rebirth. You know yeah. what I'm trying yeah. to say? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but in having conversations with people in my life who aren't as open to this and not for reasons of hate. Uh, I will bring up my brother again. Um, my brother, uh, I don't want to give the wrong impression. Steve, you know my brother. My brother's a really loving guy, and, yes. I mean, he would do just about anything for anyone. Yep. Um, but we, we don't align on certain things, and we've had this conversation because he, too, has a friend uh, whose son... Uh, identifies uh, female and uh, 
he, my brother was telling me how he was having a hard time with pronouns and everything. And I said, that's normal, dude. I said, I, I, I think from what I know, as long as they know where your heart is and that you're trying, they know you're going to mess up sometimes because it's all new and everything like that. But if you're not doing it intentionally, uh, then I, then I don't think you have anything to worry about. And he said to me, uh, I, I I understand that. I just don't fucking understand why, because you want to make a change, I have to now learn a new way to communicate with you. Mm. I said, really, really Sorry, stop and dog. think about that, you brother. Learn a new trick. Yeah, I mean, really stop and think about that. I mean, you could say that for any civil rights advancement. Now I got to let this black guy use the bathroom with me. Why do I have to change what I'm doing? I'm not allowed to call him, you know, this word anymore. Right, I can't call the waitress honey sweetheart anymore. Why do I have to change what I told him? Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of the way I tried to explain it to him. Like, you know what, we evolve with times and realize some of our wrongdoings. And while you think that these things are not hurtful because they don't affect you, uh, open up your empathy tank, dude, and th- and think about who they might be hurting. I know uh, we just had we just lost another one of my nieces graduating class, dude. Another one, uh, another kid offed himself two days before graduation mm-hmm. because everyone can't get their fucking empathy tank, uh, you know, and let right. some love out of it. Come on, exactly. uh, is it really that big of a fucking deal? Right. Hey, lose classmate. <clears throat> yep. Uh, yeah, uh, lost a couple this year. And like uh, I said, this particular one was just two days before graduation. And, uh, you know, the last memory, uh, uh, Allie could tell me about the whole story was, is that, oh, uh, two days, uh, before this happened, uh, the teacher was riding his ass because he hasn't been at school a whole bunch lately. And I thought to myself, you know what? Fuck you. Why don't you ask them why they have been in school and ask them if there's anything they fucking need help with you know right. you think you, you think maybe like yep. uh yeah we're i mean we're losing kids today yep. because of things simple fucking things like this yeah because society's pushing back when there's you know really no tragedy, reason dude. at the end of the day yeah you I know think- i was i was talking to neil about this recently about some of my confusions where uh some classmate is uh, male by gender, assigns female, but he goes by they, them, or he. And I'm just like, how can they be a they, them, and a he? Like, it's got to be one or the other. And she was like, why does it matter? Like, why can't this kid just be whatever it is? And I said, you know what? On one hand, I get that. But on the other hand, this has become a whole national thing, this debate. It's gone into our politics, into our sports. It's, it's become a thing. And you guys started this, your generation. And you have to stand up for this. You have to fight for it. It is a movement. And she was like, it shouldn't be. I said, yeah, but it is, kiddo. And look at your my aunt, her great aunt, who was this great advocate for, for marriage equality and was one of the first lesbian couples to ever be artificially inseminated. Uh, you know, just this pioneer. And yeah. she, she passed away a year ago. And look what has now happened since my aunt died with the courts. You know, Roe right. v. Wade is already thrown out. They're going to come after marriage equality. All of these rights that you should not have to fight for, unfortunately, you do. And you got to know how to defend this stuff. Because as soon as you give Fox News, Tucker, fuck Carlson, one little, you know, foible to, to 
focus in on. He's going to try to make the entire thing look like it's nonsense. So yes. I'm sorry that you have to sort of defend this and fight for it, but it's what you have to do because you are in a minority group and you do have to stand up for it. So I wish and it here's wasn't the thing, thing, but it is. You shouldn't have to, but you do. And that's just the reality of the fucking world we live in and life in general, right? Exactly. And be ready and be ready to do so when it's when it's your time to do it. Yeah. I mean, we have seen our rights erode over these uh, since the Trump era and, you know, everything going on with our new super awesome Supreme Court. Uh, <laughs> and and just because they don't affect you, you. on the video flicking them off. Sorry. You know, we, I have this conversation with Rachel and I, you know, I don't I, I don't care what anyone else's stance is. I know what mine is on uh, Roe v. Wade. And uh, I've going around that I, I really connect with that, like, uh. Uh, just because uh, a person is pro-life doesn't mean they're anti-abortion. You know, you don't have to pick for everybody to stick in. You have to be open to the fact that everyone's going to drive in their own fucking lane and get on board with that. Because like you said, they are coming for gay rights. And I've got a lot of gay friends and I've got gay friends that are married. I married two gay friends as a minister and to have that stripped away is just a story that most of us fucking read, but it's a life that has a ton of consequences yes. that you don't even think about. And that if somebody gets hurt, that they can't go see each other in the fucking hospital. Yep. You know, stuff like that. It's just, and it's all coming. If some people, including us that are privileged, don't fucking stand up and say it's wrong. Yep. Yeah, marriage equality is one of those things that, for most of you, it has nothing to do with you. It affects you in no way, shape, or form. No one's forcing you to go marry somebody of the same gender. But for those that it does affect, it affects them deeply. It's the dream to be able to get married and have a family. And for us to deny that right, it was correctly made you know, legal years ago. And now here we are fighting the same battle again that the previous generation had fought already. So, you know. Nothing but love and support for my kid. You know, it was a little sad, like I said, to lose my daughter, Haley. You know, now I have my uh, my uh, my firstborn, Neo. <laughs> you know? And who, who's uh, uh, turning out to be a, a great person and kid in their own right. You Amazing know, so. kid. And, you know, them coming into this world was a bit of a miracle, as we discussed earlier, because my wife was on birth control. She took some antibiotics. We later figured out that lessened the birth, you know, the control effectiveness, and that's how we got pregnant. And, you know, right. that, that kid was meant to be in this world. And everyone who meets her tells me the exact same thing that Nick just said. She's an old soul. Like, there's yeah. something special about that kid. So don't tell me that she's wrong or unjustified or doesn't deserve everything that everyone else has. So, yeah. Yet another chapter in the story. Uh, we're starting to get into modern times, and I don't, uh, you know, we're, we're hitting the three-hour mark, so we're clearly capable of doing a two- or three-hour show, so kudos to us all. Yeah, um, I would say so. Anyone got anything uh, from this era before I get into, uh, you know, 2019 and beyond here? Uh, well, I mean, I don't know. Uh, what, when did pandemic start? 2020. 2020, all right. yeah. All right, keep going then. All right, so let's see here. 2019. Let me tell you a quick little story. Christmas of 2018, my father was in town, and we were out driving around having one of these heart-to-heart father-son talks, and he asked me, why do you do it? What, what, why are you working this job? Why, are you killing, why do you do this? And I explained to him, I'm doing it for my family. I got a wife and two kids. We're living here. We have this beautiful life. 
So I am working a job that I really no longer love because I'm not on the air. I mean, I am still, but, you know, I've got all this other bullshit that we were talking about earlier that's driving me over a cliff. And, but I did it for my family because that was my purpose. That was my why. That was December 23rd or whatever of 2018. Mm. We get through the holidays, and on January like 5th or something, like, you know, right after New Year's, down in the garage, working on a, uh, a vintage dirt bike I bought. And when I say vintage, it's when we were all, like, teenagers. That qualifies as vintage nowadays. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, a brewski, <laughs> it was a similar thing. My wife comes down. She says, hey, can we talk? I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> this can't be good news. So I go upstairs. <laughs> What does she want to talk about? Did I not do the dishes again? Like dirt the dirt, my lovely wife. And she tells me, uh, I, I, I haven't loved you in years. I've been living a lie. I've been keeping up this front that we're happily married and I'm miserable and I want a divorce. After 17 years together, two kids, this whole life we've built, married in our mid-20s, now we're into our you know late 30s and... She was done. Talk about the shocker, dude. Yes. The random Saturday morning. And I, I mean, as she starts telling me this stuff, I did just one point. I'm like, wait a minute. Like, what the fuck are we talking about right now? Yeah. She, you know, she laid it all out. I, I could not have felt more blindsided to say the least. Like I said, I was just telling my dad that everything I do is for my family. And now in the blink of an eye, as if in a car accident or something, I lost it all wife, kids, the house, everything. That Saturday, I I never left my room. I spent the entire day just in my bedroom, in misery, crying, just miserable. Well, Sunday, uh, go ahead. Yes. I, I'm sorry. Was that conversation over right there? I mean, you just said, like, I need my space to process yeah, this. Y- exactly. And, like, I don't know what the hell is happening. I don't know where this, but, yeah, the reality started settling in. Um, I, I won't get super in depth in this part of it, but you know, about two or three o'clock in the morning that night or that Sunday morning, I decided to kill myself. You know, it wasn't suicidal thoughts. I planned it out. Like this is the day I always wondered when I was going to die. And I had this moment of like, it's now it's today. Like I know what I'm going to do. I can't keep living this life. And then I thought about the kids and I realized how much, how much damage I was going to do. And I, I couldn't possibly do it. When I was 19, a very good friend of mine that I considered to be a brother committed suicide, and he left his kids behind, and I was so fucking angry at him for doing that. Yeah. So I had that moment of clarity of, I cannot do Oof. this. So I... That hurts I my to, heart, brother. I mean, that, uh, that that kills me. Yeah. And, you know, I don't, uh, I, don't, I don't think I've cried in front of you a lot, Nick, but uh, the day I called you and told you that we were going through this, I, I remember just breaking down. I couldn't get through it. I mean, it was... Like I said, blindsided, devastated. Everything that I was doing, everything for, was just gone. So that Sunday morning, after I obviously talked myself out of suicide, I said, I I, got to get help. So I went to Jamie, and I said, we cannot give up on this. Like, we have been together all of these years. We have a family. You have got to agree to go to couples therapy with me. We have got to try to salvage this. And she said, and I'll never forget this, she said, well, it will have to change the way I feel. But yes, let's give that a try. So I called the therapist uh, Sunday night. She called me back Monday morning. By Tuesday, we started into 
the most transformative year of my life, 2019. Uh, we were in full-time therapy, individual couples therapy, doing anything and everything we could to try to salvage this. I, I At that point, I weighed about 225 pounds. I started working out uh, for stress management, not to get in shape. Because as Nick famously knows, I've tried several times throughout my 20s and 30s to get in shape, and I ended up passed out under pine trees. And, you know, like, <laughs> it's just uh, like, why am I doing this? In shape, I'm fine, I'm married, what do I care? Like, so, but I started doing, I started working out for stress management. Because let me tell you something, people, getting your heart rate up, breaking a sweat, it does wonders for you. And so that's why I started doing it. But then after a couple of months of it, I saw like I'm losing weight. So then I started experimenting with diet and all that stuff. Uh, I could do a whole segment on dieting. Not, not even, I, I don't like calling it dieting cause it's not, it's just, it's basically eating less shit and working out a little bit more, you know, you kind of balance things out. But yeah, that whole year we, we spent 10 months in therapy and it was, it was, it was misery. I, I was living a year in limbo. <clears throat> I was married, but not, I was single, but not, uh, I, I I didn't know where anything was going, and on there were I, never any definitive answers throughout that whole year that you could even grasp onto. No. It seemed like I got every, stuck on a shelf, you know. Yeah, that's right. And it was uh, it was misery, but I was making a lot of progress. You know, I definitely have an anger problem, um, <laughs> as listeners to the show back in the day can recall, me screaming at people and whatnot, which I'll do again someday, don't worry. But, um, yeah, I went through all this, you know, getting my anger under control, getting my, you know, body in shape. I, I did everything. The, the therapist literally told me, like, you have done everything someone has ever asked for you are in the top two percent of any client i have ever had you have embraced this you've done every change possible but for some reason jamie just wasn't coming around and it was i think uh somewhere early in october of 2019 uh, after 17 years together i woke up to a fucking dear john letter a letter on the counter addressed to steve and as I mentioned earlier, she didn't call me Steve. She always called me Harness right. or whatever our nicknames were. And yeah. I knew as soon as there was a fucking letter addressed to Steve, that wasn't going to be good. And it wasn't. It was her explaining that despite all of this work, all of this therapy, everything you have changed, anything I could have asked for, I simply don't love you anymore. So that was the end of it. Early October 2019, my marriage was officially done and over. Uh, was the, uh, letter, I mean, I, well, I will say this, that I had a, uh, a passenger seat to see the, what you were going through. Yes. Struggling. Nick had my back throughout this entire process and, but, uh, well, I can never thank you enough for that. No, no, thank you necessary, dude. I know you do it for me uh, over and over again. My question is, is that. Uh, when you received that letter, however painful it may have been, did it add any sort of resolution to or an answer to what you had been working towards, even if it wasn't the answer you wanted? Yes. I, that's what I had wanted forever. Like, I need an answer. I need to know a direction. And I had been preparing for those months leading up to it that this was not looking good that, you know, I, I don't think this is going to happen. So I had been sort of mentally preparing for it. And when we went to therapy that day, she did it intentionally on a day that we were going to be in therapy so that we could have the full discussion with the therapist. And by the way, the therapist told her to write the fucking letter, which I still don't agree was a good idea. But she was like, I wanted you to show up to therapy knowing what was going on. Like, oh, thanks. That's great. 
Yeah, that seems a little odd to me that she wouldn't ask her to write the letter and share the letter with you in therapy. In a safe setting. Yeah, no, I yes. read it home alone with my son sitting there. Like, it was fucking great. And especially after the therapist knew what a bad headspace, uh, wanting to hurt yourself uh, just a year earlier. I, that's very irresponsible. Yeah, I felt that way, too. You were set up like a motherfucker, Steve. Yeah, totally. Blindsided, taken out, uh, you know, soprano style. And so we go into therapy that day, and um, I basically told them both that um, I, I'm ready to move on. I said, I will, be, I will be dating within two weeks, and I will be remarried within two years. I'm ready. And the funny thing was, both Jamie and the therapist said, we agree. Like, you've done your work. You're ready to graduate. Jamie still had shit to work out. I was set forth and free. And both of them gave me the blessing that, yeah, you know, you have done the work. So, yeah. and, you know, I had been single for basically a year at that point. You know, I, I, there was no point in that year that I really was delusional enough to think that this was all going to just have some great magic ending. I thought maybe we'd spend years and years trying to inch our way back in, but, but no, I, I, I was, I, I was mentally ready to move on and everyone agreed. And, uh, that's exactly what happened next. <laughs> yeah, there was, I don't know. Do you know that I reached out to Jamie, uh, that day? Mm, I don't think and, so. And no. uh, yeah, it, it didn't go very well. <laughs> I mean, it didn't go very well. Uh, that was, you know, what I had held my tongue this whole time with Jamie because I consider Jamie a friend of mine. You yes, know? Uh, I consider her family. You know, so but I had really held my tongue because it was such a, it was such a private thing. Uh, that I don't know. I don't know why, Steve. I don't know why I didn't speak up. more or to Jamie, maybe because I thought it wasn't my place to do so. Sure. But uh, I finally did that day uh, before that therapy mm -hmm. and uh, basically wrote her out a long letter, which I know she read, and she never fucking replied to me uh, and, and didn't say anything. And it wasn't a mean letter. It was just uh, a letter to kind of, uh, at the time I felt anyway, was a letter to kind of shake her to be like, do you really fucking know what you're doing, right? Like, you understand, like, yeah. if this is it, this is it, right? Yeah, do you right. understand that? And, uh, yeah, just no response back from that. And I felt like, uh, at the very least, you got to know that I care about you, but I'm also trying to take my friends back and trying to uh, make a statement here and to not reply. Uh, well, I guess, you know, I wrote it off, too. It was just cowardice. Uh, she didn't want to have the conversation with me, too. You know, I'm sure yeah. it was hard enough already. So No, that's absolutely uh, true. And I'm glad that she didn't write back. In hindsight, I'm glad because I don't know what I was fighting for. You know, right, yeah. I, I, I don't know what I was fighting for other than to cause you more pain. Yeah, sure. And it's funny, you know, because like I was just saying, I had had a lot of time to deal with it. It wasn't a shock at that point. And, um, you know, I was ready to move on. And I remember telling Brewski, because um, no, no, no one knew about this. Nick was on the inside and maybe one or two other people. But once we declared it official, we started telling people. And Brewski... You were devastated, man. And you were, I, I felt like I was talking you down at that point. Like, it's going to be okay, Brewski. Like, don't worry about it. Man. What well, do you mean? Expand on that, Brewski. Well, how did it make you feel? Well, so when, when Steve messaged me, 
um, he messaged me on Facebook, Facebook Messenger, and he said, "Hey, you know, I just want to let you know, uh, Jamie and I are getting a divorce." And I read that, and and my heart sank. Yeah. Well, you were there you know, for all those just, formative years, so I get it. Yeah, yeah for you know, sure. And and you know, and I love Jamie, and and obviously I love Steve, and I guess, I guess I don't know because I the only picture I ever have in my fit in my head of Jamie is that big smile of hers with those squinty eyes and everything like that, you know? And I see that smile and I see Steve and I see Steve smiling, laughing. And just the fact that these two people who I think of the most, the world of aren't happy together anymore. It just really hurt. And, sure. and that's why sure. and I asked, I told Steve, I said, listen, you know, I, you know, I haven't been there as far as being married or having kids or anything like that. But I know what it's like to lose a relationship like this. And if you need anything, you know, I'm I'm here for you. And he and he says to me, Bruski, you're a good dude. I appreciate that. Yeah. 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 You know? No, and uh and Yar and I, I I get all those feelings for sure. And yeah, you know. I I had to blind. There's one stand up thing it. I gotta say, uh, Harness, is that you know what, when shit hits the fan in your life, you have always been honest. I, and what I, I guess what I mean by that is like you've always revealed yourself rather than just like keep it in. Yeah, that's brave shit, dude. Yeah, it like was a lot really, of people can't do that. It was hard to to admit that to everyone that we had failed, and that you know on Facebook we all looked happy, and that was part of what was going on. If Jamie was pulling the wool over my eyes and everyone's that we were happy and. I'm sitting here going, hey, we got some issues, I guess, but you know, we're happy and we've right. married all these years. And, yeah. You know, and I took my wedding vow seriously, man. Like, uh, that was death to you part. You're supposed to work through the good and the bad and the better and the worse and all that. And I felt completely betrayed. And yeah. like we were talking about earlier, in hindsight, now I see the breadcrumbs. I see her pulling away from me. Like, she stopped wearing her wedding ring, you know, before she ever told me this. But she was like, well, you know, she worked at a tire store. It's going to get banged up and ruined. So I'm just not going to wear that ring right now. I'm like, okay, makes sense. Like, right. <laughs> my yeah. back hurts, so I'm going to go sleep in the other room. Like, oh, okay, you don't want to sleep in the same bed with me anymore? Okay. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? right. We're happily married, so <laughs> all is good. Yeah. So, yeah, in hindsight, of course, I get it. But... Uh, uh, yeah, that was uh, that was quite a, a, a fuck job that came my way. Well, well and, yeah. and you know, if if I could bring a buzzism into all this, sure. Um, whenever you listen to Lycus, he always said the minute that you have to go to couples therapy, then the relationship is doomed. Couples therapy hmm. never works. Well. Lycus, Lycus just started... <laughs> <laughs> well, that, I, I'm just. I, I, yeah, <laughs> and it was, I, and it's funny because because you, you're talking about the, yeah, the Nick the, knows where the rest of the story is going. So, <laughs> okay, so uh, go with the rest of the story. Yeah, we're gonna have a new segment in the show that's gonna be all about whether counseling works and uh, you know happy marriage uh, techniques and all that. So we will find out if Tom Likas was uh, right or not. But uh, okay. we're, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves. We'll get to that. But part but, of the story. but you but you know that that's the kind of thing he would he would always say well of course and he's the guys on the show you know (laughs) of course yeah listen here's what i've learned that relationships are not cruise control they are work and effort and you may have to learn some new tricks to take what should be a good
good relationship and make it healthy because you're too pigheaded or dumb to adapt <laughs> to something. So we're going to test that theory, Brewski. So, uh, you know, okay. uh, let's. Uh, I would love if I could see what show was going to be posted six months from now or a year from now, if I could just listen to that and know where yeah. we're going. But. Yeah, yeah. So we'll I'll tell there. you what, dude, that yeah. it is really uh, interesting to me that Rachel is, well, I guess Rachel's the first person I've had in my life. I've had, I've always been a long relationship type of guy, mm-hmm. uh, and Rachel's the first person in my life, and it's good to be married to her, that I have a tendency to put things on cruise control because I think they're going well, yep. and even when... Uh, uh, Maybe I notice the signs of like little stuff, like even maybe I'll lie to myself and say like, no, that's not a big deal. We're just in a little slump right now, you know, and I have a tendency to ignore that kind of shit. And Rachel's been really good for me to be able to bring them out in light to say like, you know, it's not healthy if we get into this pattern like that takes us down a road we don't want to go down. Yeah. And to have someone like that in a relationship where maybe in my 20s, I would have thought like, oh, you're always fucking nagging me. Like, what a pain in the ass. You know, we got to work on this now. Yeah. In my older age, I, I respect it. I think it's something that I, it's one of my shortcomings. It's something I need, you know. So um, mm-hmm. I don't think that, uh, I, I find therapy to be helpful. And I think it does, uh uh, I think it, you know what, here's the thing. Sometimes people are in therapy for the wrong reasons. Sure. I think if you go into therapy with an open heart of fixing a problem that you both want the same ending point, I think it's a great tool to get there. Yes. You can't fit the round peg in the square hole, and you have to own your shit if you want to fix your shit in therapy. And yeah. what I mentioned, you know, when Jamie agreed to therapy was, sure, but it's going to have to change the way I feel. She was never open yeah. to changing the way she right. felt. That 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 die had been cast, and the whole year we spent was really just a. I mean, I'm glad I went through the transformations I went through, but the the marriage sure. was never going to be salvaged. Doesn't mean that it couldn't yeah. be for uh, for other scenarios, but yeah. So um, that was October uh, 2019. I left the house a few weeks later. Started dating in the middle of October, by the way. We'll talk about that momentarily. But yeah, I we moved out of the. To, <laughs> I I took I took with me my guitars, my collectibles, my clothes, and I left everything else, all the furniture, all the TVs, everything, and I moved out because I told Jamie that I don't want the kids to come home to the sofa missing and the TV missing. Like this is their home, so sure. it needs to stay that way. So if I'm leaving, I'm leaving. So here's everything in our checking account. Here's everything we own. I'm going to rent a house that I had to borrow money from my dad to even make the first month's rent. And Nick was there on November 1st helping me move out. And uh, that's what I did. I moved into an empty house that I was able to by fate or whatever. I, I worked a deal through the radio with an advertiser owned a furniture store and he hooked me up with all of this new furniture. He felt bad for me and so I I started over. Moved out and started completely started over. over, dude. Started yeah. from scratch. And I could not have been more broken down and uh, beat up, but still like I said, I, I was ready to move on. So I started. So I, uh, I started online dating. 
It was uh, quite an adventure. And yeah. we could probably do a whole freaking show about oh, yeah. the things I have learned from there. But oh, this is good. Yeah. yeah. But I got some online dating tips for you guys out there. First of all, don't be short. I didn't realize this. Women hate oh, short yeah. guys. I'm really they sorry, guys. Like uh, every yeah. guy is apparently five foot ten on dating apps because they don't want to admit they're five seven or whatever. So yeah. Hmm. Uh, they like tall guys. They like outdoorsy guys, and they like funny guys. So. Little did I know I would be such a catch going on. <laughs> so, oh, and I by love- the way, if you have like a job and a car that runs, like, oh my God, like you're. Yes, just- you are a champion. Yes, exactly. Well, and, they, and they always say, I love to laugh. Like, who the hell doesn't? Right. <laughs> right, yes. Apparently, there's a bunch of short, unfunny guys that only sit inside that are not doing well online dating, but uh, I found it to be quite the adventure. And, you know, right away, I met uh, I met a woman who uh, I spent about three months with, and I think it was Amy Schumer had a comedy bit about anyone can hold in their crazy for about three months, and yeah. then it starts to come out. Oh, boy. I, I think I have a tape of her actually letting the crazy out of you. Please, here. yes. For us when you were dating her. You can have all the men you want and you can fuck them too. And I'm going to forget about, about you and I'm going to concentrate on Nick because he's a beautiful, genuine, kind, sweet, and soft, gentle man. Goodbye. Right. Good night. Yes. yes. That was the first I mean, one right you there. You really fell into a bowl of crazy with that one, Art. I did. Um, Yeah, I met this woman who seemed super cool at first, but she turned out, I guess everyone's got to have some crazy rebound where you just have, you know, wild, crazy sex. And uh, and then it all it all boiled over. So then I realized, like, okay, well, let me start this whole process over. I'm not immediately just falling back into crazy. So I started dating. Uh, I met another woman who was uh, she was nice. Uh, They were both school teachers, which was very weird, but. So yeah, so started dating her, and then uh, then the pandemic set in, and everything went off the rails. I realized Terrible like time for love. Yeah, I realized I don't want to spend this pandemic alone. So I kept dating this woman, but in the very infancy of that early March, I realized that dating online dating is a math game. It's a numbers game. I need to meet every woman within a two-hour radius of me. I need to hold interviews, basically, and find out which one of you is the <laughs> least crazy or most compatible. So That's I started... advice? Yes. Yeah, it's a numbers game, man. Just start going through it. And Nick, you probably remember this. I had one week where in five days I had seven dates. Yes, I do. You were double booked on a couple of days. Yes. Double duty. I was doing lunch with one, dinner with the next, and the funny thing was I did it all at the same restaurant. And at one point, the wait (laughs) staff started looking at me like, wait a minute, weren't you like just here a few hours ago? So yeah, just started uh, blowing through dates. Did a lot of first dates, almost no second dates. One of uh, Tahoe's finest restaurants, I assume? Uh, it was actually in the no. Carson Valley, but yeah, I, p- I picked a decent little brewery that I felt was off the beaten path enough, but easy <laughs> enough to access. And where I was living, yeah, you got this kind of radius around the mountain. So yeah, just started doing a cattle call. It was like American Idol or something. Sure. And um, into early March, I remember I met this woman online named Hillary, and we spent about a month chatting and... It was in What April. was her name? Uh, her what was her name in the, in the beginning? Uh, how did you describe her to me? Uh, it was the cowgirl. The cowgirl, yeah. yeah. Because on the hot you know, cowgirl. Yes, I believe that was her nickname because she was a uh, 
an equestrian, but she worked in the, in San Francisco for this multi-zillion dollar corporate company. So she had this big city thing and a cowgirl thing. And I was definitely infatuated. But the pandemic was in full swing at this point. And here I am on the radio every day telling people, don't leave your hometown. Don't meet people outside your family circle. Stay at home. Don't travel unnecessarily. But I'm talking with this woman online who I'm just completely intrigued by. So we basically said, like, tell you what, why don't we meet at a park? We'll sit on opposite ends of a bench, six feet apart, and let's just meet face to face and see if there's any chemistry there at all. So broke the COVID rules, went down off the hill to the other side, actually, away from Nevada towards California. And, and I, I met Hillary in person and I was infatuated. I just I knew right away that she was the one. And I called Nick on the way home and was just like, I'm dumping that other one. I'm all in. I found it. I did the interviews and I found it. This woman is smart, sexy, funny, got her shit together. There was magic in her eyes. Like, I could see my past in her eyes. I could see my future. Like, I found her. I was so That's romantic, dude. fucking I mean, ecstatic. Is, you and were felt, really giddy. Yes. I, I called you immediately on the way home. Yes. Do you remember this call? Oh, of course I do, dude. You broke the you bro- you broke the COVID rule. <laughs> yes, and, and you had to tell me about it. Yeah. So yeah, I immediately called up this other girl that I'd been kind of keeping on the line. I was like, hey, sorry, yeah, Friday not going to happen. <laughs> I, I got to be done because I can't be dating two people at once. And there's no scenario I want to fuck it up with Hillary. So thank you for your time, but uh, we're moving on to the next. And the At least she was a nice person. She dude. was a very nice person, and I felt terrible breaking her heart because she was really into yeah. me, and I wasn't. Yeah. She showed up at the office to get some like stuff she had left in my house, and I felt like I was firing someone because I've had to do that. But she was sitting in my office in the chairs where the employees sit, and I'm telling her, like, hey, I'm really sorry, but uh, you know, your <laughs> services are really no longer needed here. And it's not you. It's the company. <laughs> We're just going to go in a different direction. So. The, organization you- would, the organization would like to make a change. And unfortunately, you're not in the plans. Yes. And he was really bummed out about it. I mean, you lamented over it for, you know, a a couple of days of how you would tell her. It's just like firing someone. Like when I took over as GM, I had to fire some people and I felt terrible about it. Even those that deserved it. I still feel terrible affecting somebody's life. Sure. So, you know, Yeah. yeah, this woman, she was a very nice woman. There was nothing wrong with her per se. There was just no spark there. No magic, no chemistry. And. And uh, I probably shouldn't have let it linger into the COVID like I did, but uh, I didn't want to spend Rona alone. So, you know, but yeah, I I went through my online dating of uh, several months and I found this amazing woman and that was it. We, you know, we've been going, we've been together ever since. And the story has more twisted turns, but that's where that part of it is. That's how I started the pandemic. How did you guys start the pandemic? Uh, well, you know what? My start to the pandemic was, uh, nothing special. I mean, it was like every other American where, you know what the, right before the whole country went on lockdown, I was in Arizona sitting by a pool and everybody was talking about, uh, this Corona going around and everything like that. And then we were going to wear masks to try and stay safe. We had to disinfect all of our stuff and uh, I was like, well, what is going on here? And then when we got home from that trip the next day, they locked, pretty much just locked the country down. Rachel was working from home. I was already working from home, so there was not a huge change for me, dude. I mean, yeah. I didn't leave my house. Uh, my mother, who is 75 years old, lives by herself, and I thought, oh, this is going to be really difficult because 
I do a lot for her, you know. Um, my sister, on the other hand, and her new new husband were they did not take this seriously at all. I mean, they were going to work and they were like, ah, well, it is what it is. You get a cold and then it's better, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, you can't be around mom. So that was the biggest thing about the pandemic for me is I felt like I I divided my mother and my sister with a wedge and kind of felt like an asshole. But, you know, um, yeah, not a lot else changed for me, I guess. I mean, obviously, I couldn't go out and do the stuff I normally did, but I was fine during pandemic. I have my house and my property, and I didn't really need to go anywhere. So yeah. I was I was all good. But we all had a little extra concern for you, as we discussed four hours ago. You have MS, which makes you immunocompromised. So you had to be a little extra diligent uh, compared to the rest of us. Yeah, 100%, dude. And, uh, you know, that made me a little bit of a uh, – I, I bet it made me a little bit annoying to people who are, <laughs> who are trying to li- live their regular lives because – it's it's not even that I have MS. It's the medication that I'm on for MS really knocks the shit out of my Im- immune system. So, yeah. Um, yeah, no, it was scary, dude. It was really I was really scared in the beginning of it because I had heard not only just like what we were all hearing, but then talking to my doctors at the same time, knowing that people that were on my medication were getting it, and some had fared okay, and some had died you know so i was just like wow this is crazy for sure yep but uh there's a lot of the uh reopening of this world that i'm not okay with (laughs) you know uh i don't uh, necessarily want to be back out in public all the time uh i enjoyed being a hermit uh a little bit uh i enjoyed not showering every day there were times th- I went three or four days without showering. Yeah, there I were was some just, upsides you know, being locked in. You're right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, just uh, I gained, everyone talks about the COVID-15, the COVID-15. I had the COVID-30, dude. I gained 30 pounds during this uh-huh. whole pandemic, and it's starting to come off, but I have started to get it off before and brought it right back on. I'm struggling with the uh, weight loss from COVID and mm. uh, not trying – as hard as I need to be, but I'm a fan of microfasting. That's how I figured my shit out. See, dude, my sister just started. I, I don't know. Is this microfasting? They are uh, uh, four and three, four days fast, three oh, days not. No. So microfasting they, uh, is basically skip lunch, you pig. Just eat breakfast. Don't eat all day, and eat a good dinner. Work out a little more. Like you're trying to stretch out the time between meals, but you're not truly fasting for days at a time. That's well, not I that's don't fasting, eat, not microfasting. But I don't ever eat breakfast, so I don't. Most days I don't eat until two p.m. Well, one thirty, two. That's PM. pretty much microfasting, then. Yes. Oh, well, what's not working? <laughs> Get on the treadmill or something. You got to do both sides of it, not just the one side. So. Oh, I see. I see. Ah, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. Eat right. less yeah. shit. I stopped drinking yeah. soda. I don't go to fast food anymore. But I'm not dieting. I'm not eating twigs and berries and stuff. But yeah, what do you I, eat for lunch? Uh, you know, my common thing nowadays is some sort of egg, you know, breakfast or something. I skip over lunch. I'll eat some nuts in the afternoon or some cheese just for a little Mm. shot of protein or energy. And then I have a decent dinner. And then by eight o'clock, stop eating 
don't eat after eight o'clock because then you just go to bed and lay there for eight hours and it all goes right to your gut and your yeah. face or whatever. So that, that's been what worked for me. Micro fast to get yourself in the weight range you want to be in. Cause like yeah. when I gained the 30 pounds over the holidays when I tore the rotator cuff, I gained weight and then, yeah, I micro fasted to get back down to my right, uh, correct range that I want to be in, which is about 190. And then, yeah, eat a little less shit and uh, work out a little more. It seems to, it seems to work for me. You work out every day? Every other day. 30-minute routine of uh, cardio. I either I used to run, but now I'm on uh, like a spin bike, and then I do some push-ups, sit-ups, lots of stretching. The whole thing is about an hour and some change. But, yeah, plenty of stretching. Do some cardio for like 30 minutes. Do some basic calisthenics, whatever you want to call it, and uh, don't eat so much crap. You still taking hour-long showers? <sighs> I try to, yeah, whenever possible. you got a big routine in the morning, dude. No, I mean, yeah. it's a lengthy. It's a routine. Yeah, maybe smoke a little bowl afterwards. You know, just uh, hey, feel you good go. about it all. <laughs> exactly. Bruce, how'd the pandemic hit you, Brewski? Well, it started out kind of strange because I was in Vegas for New Year's of uh, 2020. Yeah. And I um, I got shocked by my defibrillator while I was in Vegas. Oh, dude, I've seen it happen to you before, and I know that it is. I, I don't think people understand how painful that is that, uh, you know, Steve's talking about what a big, tough guy Brewski is, and I've, <laughs> I've seen that drop you before. Dude. I, I know that that well, has to be. Yeah, and explain real quick. You, you have a defibrillator built in, correct? Because you have, have heart a... issues. You were born with heart issues, right? No, no. I, I, I have, well, yes, kind of. I have what's called cardiomyopathy, and so. Man, um... we're a sad bunch. Jeez. <laughs> but so over the past few years, they, well, in 2000, actually, they, uh, after I came back from Paris, I, I had to go back to the, I had to go to the hospital because I was blacking out. And it turns out that my heart was stopping for Jeez. no particular reason, just stopping. Wow. And so I had this defibrillator in my chest and it's as strong as the big paddles in the emergency room. So when my heart stops, Jeez. it shocks me and it threw, it threw wow. me on the ground. I was in the valet area of the Golden Nugget in, in downtown on Fremont Street wow. when I got shocked. And this old lady sitting next to me was like, are you okay? And I'm on the ground. And I got up and I told her what was going on. And she's like, <laughs> she says to me, she says, scolding me, you need to go see a doctor, young man. You need to go see a doctor that's scaring the hell out of people. Uh, <laughs> and I was just like, and I appreciate it. Sorry. Scared <laughs> the hell out of you so, too, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, but th- so then I got really sick like the next day and I'm still in Vegas. And um, so I, I ended up spending two extra days in Vegas staying at my friend Jessica's house. And I was just, I slept the entire time. I get home. I've got pneumonia. Oh, wow. And so now this is right at the beginning of Corona. Do you and think you in, might have Corona? At that time, mm. uh, I, in hindsight, I thought that it may have been because I had pneumonia. And, um, and so I got really sick and, then right you at, were real sick. Yeah, I was I was laid up like uh, just crazy how, how much I was laid up. And then right after that, my dad had a stroke. Well, and he had a stroke and what they called three mini heart attacks. And yeah. I don't know how I don't know how any heart attack can be mini. Sure. You know, um, and then my dad was in a rehab hospital for a long time. And um so that's how the that's how coronavirus started out for me in 2020. So were you uh, when your dad got put in the rehab facility? Were you able to go see him, or did you have to 
stay away. No, I was able to stay away. And then that's when things started to really pick up about Corona. Because he was in Mass General prior to that. Actually, he and I were in Mass General almost like passing each other. I was coming out as he was going in. Perfect. Uh, Yeah, I know. Jeez. And um, so then, you know, February, March, all the Corona stuff really starts to hit. And my dad was still in the rehab hospital at that point. And uh, so, yeah. And then he was with us until October of that year when he died. In October 2020? Yeah, my dad died in October of 2020. He was going to an appointment with my sister to uh, cardiac rehab. And he walked outside and he sat down in, in the car. And he had his left foot in the car, his right foot in the driveway. And he just went. Wow. And my sister came running in the house. I was in bed and she's screaming, Jason, Jason, you got to get up here quick. Dad's, dad's, and you, you got to come on up, dad. And I ran outside and I thought I felt the pulse. And I thought I could have pulled him onto the ground because I'm CPR trained. Oh, Bruce, I'm so sorry, man. Jeez. By, by then, by then, the um, emergency medical staff shows up. They pull my dad out of the car. And I'm glad my sister didn't see it, but they were performing CPR on him on our garage, on our driveway, mm. and um, and uh, put him in the ambulance. And we could see the ambulance rocking and ro- rocking. And we kind of figured they were still doing CPR on him at that point. By this mm. point, they've been doing CPR on him for a good seven, eight minutes. Wow. Yeah, and then um, they wouldn't tell us. Believe, get this: we're his kids. We called the ambulance company. They will not tell us what hospital I took my dad to by state law. All they could say was a medical facility close to your home. What? Wow. I mean, that doesn't make any sort of sense at all. Yeah. And so we were heading towards the wrong hospital and then we got a call on my mom at that point who was at that point was almost nonverbal because my mom had MS, but she also had what's called progressive supranuclear palsy, which looks, which looks a lot like Parkinson's but yeah. it's a lot more aggressive and only one in a hundred thousand people in the United States get it. Hmm. And, wow. um, and it, it basically takes everything away from you except your mind. So your mind is completely sharp, but you can't really <clears throat> speak anymore. You can't feed yourself. You can't um, nothing. There's nothing you can do for yourself at all. Wow. And so, so my, my mom uh, was able to, to, um, get us on the phone and um and she said she told us in her best way she could what hospital to go to and we walked into the hospital and they said and they they took us to a room right away my sister and i and they sat us down in a room and then a a doctor and uh, a social worker walked in and the social worker set down a box of tissues and we kind of knew what was what what was happening at that point and yeah. uh, my sister lost it because my sister and my dad were like two peas in a pod and my sister looks exactly like my mother's mother my, my dad's mother and uh, my sister is just losing it next to me and uh I, my first call was to my aunt beth who's more like our big sister she's only yeah. five she's like she's five and a half years older than me and and she we grew up with her and I called Beth, and she's a nurse, and uh, she slapped me in the face figuratively. She said, Jason, 
I need for you right now because I can hear Becky. I know how upset she is. I need you to 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 be be straight right there. As hard, much as you're hurting right now, I need for you to to make sure you're there for your mom and your sister. And uh, I just it was one of those things where you just do what you're told to do. Yeah, you know. Step up. And then we went home. Mm. We got my mother, put her in the wheelchair, took her to the hospital so she could go and say goodbye to my dad. And um, so that's how much, that's how 2020. That's how 2020 started for me. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. exactly. So anyway, yeah. People, this is what I'm talking about, that uh, Nick and Bruski and I have lived a lot of life in the last 16 <laughs> years since we signed off from this talk show that we are now resurrecting. And uh, we got a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of a lot of life experience, a lot of good, a lot of bad. So I hope it gives everyone a little more faith in uh, taking some of our opinions uh, more seriously, because this is uh, this is a lot that we've been covering here, and we're really approaching is. the uh, four hour mark here. So, <laughs> Brucey, I mean, you uh, you had to be you had to really be strong for a lot of people for a lot of your life. I feel that way, but towards your dad and for your sister and your mother you really had to be a, a a rock for a lot of people that's that takes a lot out of you dude it's, it, you were made for a, a very special reason well you know the, the other hard part about all this and i'm glad that i was back here when i i moved back here when i did because that's when things really kind of sort of take a nosedive health-wise for my parents yeah before that i was in seattle for so long and i didn't really see all that stuff and my sister would reach out to me and we'd try to talk once a week maybe twice a week or something and but you know with time differences and sure busy schedules yeah it just doesn't always work out so i'm glad that in a way that i that i was back here um but my my sister is the the real angel in all this because my sister basically took was my mother's caregiver she uh, was dude. i mean I, you you don't understand like what and i'm nothing gonna get too graphic here but yeah like when my mother had to poop my sister had to put her on lift her up out of a chair put her on a, a little chair for my mom to poop into a pot and then my sister had to literally wipe my mom's butt yeah and my sister yeah, i my sister had to do that that kind of stuff all the time i couldn't do that because my mother wouldn't let me but also the but if I had to I could, but it's just one of those things where you know you don't ever understand really what it's like for people to who have to take care of a family member until you do it yourself. I 100% agree, and I but I also believe that you know uh, going through the whole experience when my dad passed away. <sighs> As in the uh, right after he passed away, I had a lot of anger towards my sister uh, because I was I was doing everything. Uh, I understood after everything happened that there was a large part of that story that was prior to him passing that I was like you and not around as much when you were in Seattle. And I, I really think that you, the universe works in, in, in a very fitting way of bringing uh, a little respite and break to people when they need it in order for them to be as strong as they need to be at a different point in their life. And the way that you and Becky 
went through all of that together is really, I mean, it's a beautiful thing. It's an extremely sad thing, but it's a beautiful thing. And I get to see your sister on Facebook. I'm friends with Sister Brewski, and I know that, you know, and I know you do too, still struggle with that loss. But uh, what you were able to give to your dad uh, towards the end, uh, I'll tell you what, I can see just from my own experience, I see the 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 flowers that blossom after that like what you guys did i i mean it really is something to be i don't want to say grateful but you guys really did an amazing thing together but you know what was good about the whole thing too is is that when i moved back here was like a year after i moved back here i started working at the machine shop where my dad worked my Mm. dad my dad was the receiver and then i took over as the shipper because the shipper um quit and walked out and that sort of thing. And for like a couple of years, I got to work every day in the same shop as my dad. Amazing. And, and cool. Yeah. And, uh, you know, now granted we would argue every so often and, yeah. and, and he didn't understand some of the stuff that I did in my shipping department. Cause he came from that background. And sure. why do you, why do you do things different than I did? And then also everything, when he did, it was all on paper. Like, he you know, was like, Jason, sure. get a, Jason, get, go get a pencil. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. Yeah, what do you mean to get a pencil? Come on, you know. It is. It's. I mean, it's the classic uh, father-son relationship of of struggles, but the uh, bond that lies beneath those struggles is pretty. Uh, well, I mean, it's awesome, right? But yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, this it was is, nice. To, go ahead, sir. No, it was just nice to be able to, to share that 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 time with him. It really yeah, was. Yeah, for sure, dude. And that's something you can be grateful forever, you know, and I'm sure that he was just as grateful for it, you know, which is pretty cool. So. Yeah. This is major stuff. Bruce Gay, I appreciate you sharing all that, man. I know it's hard. I, uh, I've, uh, I've already shed a, a tear or two during the show and I, uh, I can see that you are and, uh, you know, I love your brother. I'm sorry for the loss. And, oh, thank you. Uh, but yeah, you, 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 you were a champion. You are a champion. Champion. <laughs> so. yes. I, I just, I just wish you guys got a, had a chance to meet my dad, Cadillac Jack. Yeah. You guys, you got, you guys would have, would have dug my dad. Oh, think, sure, dude. He'd you, be proud you, of you. So. If you think, if you think I have a big personality, my dad it was even bigger than than that. I mean, yeah. yeah. And unfortunately, for his funeral service, because it was during COVID. Yeah, we had to keep it small, mm-hmm. and it wasn't it wasn't quite the send off that we really wanted to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah so for sure. I heard a lot of that. You know, it, it, people in hospitals, weddings, funerals, all these things that just got totally derailed by COVID that we couldn't be yeah. in person and not being able to be next to someone when they pass and all that. So it's a, it's it's an unfair time. But yeah, twenty twenty. I mean, catastrophe my of the ass. year. Yeah, exactly. Kiss <laughs> my ass. That's what yeah. it can do. Yeah. yeah, I mean, for me, it was a mixed blessing because the the pandemic, you know, uh, just completely fucked the radio station, like every small business. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it was this year of transition for me. I mean, I, I fell in love, so I feel... I feel like I can't completely discount the year per se, but it was. No, of uh, course not. It was. Uh, it was a terrible year for all of us for so many different reasons. So, but I a great year it. for you, obviously. Well, like I said, in some ways, I mean, meeting Hillary yeah. was a blessing, but uh, the the damage it did to my kids, you know, being uh, home away from school, sure. uh, the damage it did to the business, to the community, to the to. 
I mean, the psychological damage that COVID has done to all of us is going to ripple for generations. So, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I keep telling my kids, this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing. It's like going through the yeah. Great Depression or World War II or something. Like, you'll be telling your kids about this, but I'm so sorry that you're having to live through it. I'm so sorry all of us had to. It just did nothing but damage to everyone. Just yeah. fuck the economy. And it fucked our well-being. Well, and and you guys do so many community-based events at your at your stations. Yeah. And I can only imagine how it affected you because everyone call, you call Tahoe a city and it is, but it also from afar, from my point, it seems like kind of a small town too. Yeah. It's a, it's a world city. famous destination with all sorts of entertainment and recreation, but it's a small town of like 30,000 people. And uh, yeah, I mean, our radio station survives on events. The ones we do, the ones people do that advertise with us and yeah. all of these small businesses that advertise with us that were just shut down, the casinos that advertise with us that were shut down, ski resorts, I mean, everything. It was just... It was it's just crazy a, to see those casinos just shut down. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. It was a, yeah, it was a crazy year. Uh, I, I have, have a, a, I, Go ahead, what? I, was gonna, I, have a, I have a friend who used to live in Vegas I have some of my other friends who still do live in Vegas, but I have one friend who used to live in Vegas and she worked for a TV station in Las Vegas and she was the, like the digital producer and that sort of thing. Yeah. And she used to post pictures online where she's standing on the strip in front of the casinos and there's nobody there at ghost all. Ghost town, yeah. Completely ghost town. The one picture I took for the station on our Facebook page that went so viral that Facebook contacted me to A, make sure we were real, but B, they designated our page as like some high reach potential and that we need to know how to contact you in case you ever abuse this or in case we need you to spread some information. I took a picture of our casino corridor in Lake Tahoe, dead, ghost town, no cars, no people, no nothing. And it was at a time of the year where, you know, normally things are bustling and that picture went crazy. Hundreds of thousands of views on it. And, uh, yeah, it's just that contrast of uh, what should be a happy bustling area was just a ghost town. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, let's keep moving forward. <laughs> because it's Yeah, I didn't even uh, realize the time, dude. <clears throat> yeah. Do, uh, do we, uh, well, how much time do we have, guys, before? I, I know we I, all have people probably waiting in our homes for us. So. You folks do. I, I mean, it's 11 o'clock here, so I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> uh, Nick, do we have like 20 minutes so we can just bust through the rest and get yeah, caught up to let's current bust events through. here? Let's do 20 okay. minutes. Dude. All right. I, I've got one or two crazy stories that I just have to get out. So yeah. 2020, you know, I had met Hillary, went all in on her. My ex-wife, Jamie, uh, about four months after the divorce, she met a guy. Uh, she was doing online oh, dating. Oh, my gosh. Right. So Jamie and I came up with this agreement that before we introduced the kids to whoever our new people were going to be, that two things. One, we had to date them for at least three months. Make sure we get through that initial let your crazy out period. Don't <laughs> introduce someone right away. And that the big thing was we agreed, and some couples may say this is crazy, but we felt this was the right thing to do. We wanted each of us to meet the other person's person first before oh. they met the kids. Okay. I don't think that's crazy at all, dude. I think well, that's good. I'm all in. A lot of people don't do it, but it made a lot of sense to us. And the, the premise was, A, let me or, or you get to know this person that's going to become part of our kids' <laughs> lives. But also, if you see any red flags, I'm telling you, tell me. Because maybe yeah. I'm in love and I'm blinded, so sure. I'm going to give you a chance and you're going to give me a chance. And we both basically met our people around the same time. So that three-month window came up at the same time. 
Right. And so we had this, we had meetings where I invited Jamie over to my house and she got to meet Hillary and uh, was technically allowed to ask any questions she wanted to, but it was weird. Jamie just talked through the entire thing nervously. Just, <laughs> just nervous talk, yeah. Filibustered the entire meeting. It's Did not weird. Let, it was very weird and yeah. she made it even weirder. And, you know, so she had a chance to get to know Hillary, but she didn't ask any questions. There was no conversation. She awkwardly talked for 20 straight minutes and then left. <laughs> so I'm like, well, okay. Like, you know, we, we did that. our thing. We yeah. did it. Yeah. And then her guy, Charlie, who, uh, you know, you guys Charlie! know. Right. I, I had a golden retriever forever named Charlie. Jamie and I did that passed yeah. during our marriage. But it was weird that she dated someone named the same as our dead dog. But what, you know, whatever. So I, I went out and I met these two at a cafe and we sat down and I got to meet Charlie and I, I, I took advantage of the opportunity. I wanted to get to know the guy that was going to be hanging around my kids. Yeah. It's a new boy in the neighborhood. neighborhood. Right. Yeah, I don't right know if I wanted Charles in charge or not, but <laughs> I've got every TV theme you could possibly want. So. And so anyway, understood. So I got to meet Charlie, and we had a, a, a nice lunch, and I asked him all of these sort of inquisitive questions about his past, his hobbies, why'd you get to, because he was divorced too, like, why'd you get, like, I, I interviewed the guy, I didn't grill him, and I was perfectly nice and cordial, but, you know, Hello. I, I left the meeting thinking, like, well, I, I really can't find any fault with the guy, he seems like a nice guy. Uh, you know, I, I trust my ex-wife's instincts and all that. So I gave him my, uh, my stamp of approval. Go ahead and introduce him to the kids. And, uh, that's what happened. So, uh, Hillary got to meet the kids and that all went really well. Um, Hillary does not have kids of her own. So this whole new kid dynamic was a brand new thing for her. And yeah. something I got to remind myself every now and again. I felt that I scored meeting somebody who didn't have kids because I assumed I was going to have to become somebody's stepdaddy. And both <laughs> of the other women that I had dated, I told you about, they had kids. Everyone else I had dated in my round robin interviews, everyone had kids because everyone's going through their first divorce and all that. So, right. So, yeah, I thought I had really scored. Now, I, I realized later that her not having kids also brought up some issues of her not being quite used to being around kids and some of the, you know, pitfalls of all that. But, you know, it was no big deal. Um, and, yeah, she and the kids got along really well. So, in my household, uh, life proceeded along. Hillary was around all the time. She eventually, that December, moved in with all of us. And the way that Jamie and I do the uh, custody, we have equal 50-50 custody. So the right. kids spend one week in my house, one week at her house, you know, and we rotate back and forth like that. So it's 50-50. So life moved on, right? I met Charlie. He met the kids. Everyone seemed to uh, get along well in their world. Uh, and that was somewhere around, I'll say, June or July of 2020. So come October, many months have passed. I never really saw Charlie again. No one, I mean, <laughs> casually on some exchanges and whatnot, but nobody really made an effort to like, hey, we should all get together more. Or maybe you guys should get to know each other a little better and none of that. I would have taken the opportunity, by the way, but it, it was sure. never presented. So one day in October, Hillary and I are getting ready to go to Mexico, which is a whole other story. It was the best week of my life. I had never taken a vacation as an adult, never. And during the divorce, I started saving money because I had this fantasy that we were going to save the marriage and we'd go take this great vacation for the first time ever. I literally have on my office wall a vision board, and one of the things was two empty beach chairs that I wanted to take my wife on a vacation. So I was saving this money. 
And on that final, you know, uh, marriage counseling session where they told me to go forth and prosper, both my ex-wife and the counselor said that money we know you've saved, it's yours, but don't spend it on anything but a vacation. Wait until you meet someone special and then finally take that vacation. Mm-hmm. So it is the night before I'm finally about to take this vacation that is umpteen <laughs> years in the making. I've been saving all this money. I paid for this whole all-expense-paid trip for Hillary and I to go to Mexico. And this is still during the pandemic, mind you, but it was during the fall. So if you recall, cases started dipping in the fall, and we thought, this is our window. We're going to just yep. fucking do it, man. We're getting on this plane. <laughs> RE20 masks or N20, whatever the hell. That we're going to just bulletproof. We're going to go to this resort. We're going to just stay locked in our rooms just have fun and fun fun. And, so the night before we're getting ready to leave, I get home. We had had some uh, off-air emergencies at the radio station. I was up climbing around a transmitter, and I come back to my house, and there is a business card in my front door from a private investigator. Oh, and on no. the back of the business card, it said, Steve Harness, please call me. And I'm thinking, like, what did I do? Who did I piss off? <laughs> what law did I break? Like, I'm getting ready to go on this trip, but how can I leave with this Not knowing? Right. Yeah. Right. So I pick up the phone and I call this guy and I'm like, you know, hey, it's Steve, you, you left a card. He's like, yes, 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 yes. He said, I'm on the road right now. I'll be at my office in about 20 minutes. Can I please you call asshole. you back? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, sure. But what's this about? He said, I, I, I want to talk to you about Charles Spence. And I'm like, who? He's like, this is your uh, ex-wife's boyfriend. I'm like, Charlie. He's like, yeah, I need to talk to you about him. And I'm like, I don't. I hardly know the guy. I don't know what I can offer you, but okay, sure. Call me back in 20 minutes when you get to your office. I immediately text Jamie, my ex-wife, and I'm like, uh, there's a private investigator knocking on my door wanting to talk to me about your boyfriend. And she writes back in a panic, like, do not talk to him. It's about his divorce. We do not need to be involved in it. That is his business. Do not call that investigator back. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> and my first thought was, yeah, you're right. I don't want to be involved in some stupid divorce either. So I won't call him. And then as soon as I hang up the phone, I'm like, hmm, wait a minute. <laughs> so, like, or no, we were texting, but I'm like, you know, wait a minute. I'm like, I think I actually do want to hear what he has to say. So the guy calls me back, and my first response is like, hey, listen, man, I hardly know this guy. I can't imagine I have any information. I don't really want to be involved in his divorce, so I don't know what I can do for you here. And the guy's like, you know what, uh, Steve, um, you know, I totally understand it. And uh, I understand your children and the business you own in town. Like the guy has been investigating me and he starts dropping all this information about the radio stations, my kids, my divorce. So creepy, dude. Yeah. Like he's been looking into me and I was like, listen, this is really making me uncomfortable. I don't think I want to have this conversation. And he says, that's fine. He said, but I'm a parent. I have kids too. And um, before you hang up this phone, I just want to make sure that you know that Charlie is out on parole for murder. Let the bodies hit the floor. Let the uh. bodies hit the Dude, I kind of saw red a little. (laughs) I mean, did you feel like you were in a dream? Because that does that shit just doesn't happen. It was completely unbelievable. And I, the first thing I said to the guy was, is this a prank? Are you with another radio station? Like, am I on air right now? Because obviously she's not dating a freaking guy out on parole for murder of, of all course. things. And, and so, if I may, if I yes. may interject one question, if, if anybody has ever seen a picture of this guy, if you looked at him, you would never say, that guy's a murderer. 
Right. Never yeah, I mean, he had some years. tats and stuff and a little meth no, no, no. teeth. But, you know. Okay, but but I mean, to, <laughs> but generally, whenever I see, I never met him, but looking at pictures of him, you, you wouldn't say yeah. to yourself the first thing, like, that guy's a murderer, you know? No, and it's funny, too, because Hillary met him prior to this revelation and had a little chit-chat, and he left, and she turned to me, and she was like, I'm going to tell you two things about that guy right now. One, he used to do meth. Two, he's hiding a deep, dark secret. And I was like, who are you to be judging this man like this? Like, how dare you? How dare you <laughs> make these assertions? Well, well, the, the, the meth teeth is kind of obvious. Oh, yeah. He definitely had a meth problem as a teenager, and uh, he was definitely out on parole for murder. So I immediately call Jamie. I call her this time. And she gets on the phone, and I'm just like, "Who? tell me what is going on. Tell me the truth. She's like, what are you talking about? I said, who is Charlie? Tell me the truth. She's like, I don't know what you're referring to. And I said, is he on oh parole gosh, for murder? Dude. And there was just silence. And then she starts crying and says, yes. And I, I was thinking that he did not tell her this, that she, that she was being conned by the guy. Because right. who would date somebody it's... on parole for murder when you have children involved, let alone just your uh, own well-being? Yes. So she admits, yeah. I'm well aware that he's out on parole for murder and we kept all of this from you because we didn't want you to keep him from our kids. And I'm like, you've been leaving this guy alone with my kids, a guy on parole for murder. May, may, I, mean, may I ask, may yes. I ask a question? Where did How she did meet I not him? go to port of jail for myself for murder? That's a great <laughs> question. Bruce. <King. laughs> no, where did she meet this guy? She met him online. And here's the stupid part. Like, she met him online back in that January. And prior to that, I had called her at one point. Because I, as I was dating people online, I started hearing horror stories about men out there doing just twisted freaking things. So yeah. I called her and was like, you got to be careful when you're online dating. Like, I am hearing stories from women in our community about predators out there preying on them. So please yeah. be careful. So this is the question that everyone asks. They were talking online, and before they met for their first coffee date, he calls her and tells her, like, listen, before we meet, I need you to know I'm out on parole for murder. And she still went. Yes. Yes! 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 Let's see where this goes. Oh, you're uh, on parole for murder. I mean, what do I know? Well, and it's it's not like it's not like Jamie's an unattractive woman and she couldn't date other guys. This is the thing. Yes, four months after we've been divorced, this is who she goes all in on. Oh my god. Oh, uh, she. Oh, I man, I that's I dated some other people and they just weren't right. But this Charlie, he was just so nice and funny, and he told he confessed he was out on parole for. No woman in their right mind, when you're online dating and the guy says, I'm on parole for murder, you do not continue with that. Okay. No. Especially when you have children. Dude, I mean, Ted Bundy was a charming man. Like, what the fuck do you think this is? Right. Now, <laughs> yes, everyone has wondered, how did it ever continue past that point? But it did. They kept it secret from me. And, you know, I, I find out from the private investigator knocking on my door. And then they confess it all and are like, well, now we've told you the truth. Like, no, 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 no. You got no. caught. You did not tell me the truth. Don't get credit for that. So who, who hired the private investigator to begin with? His ex-wife was trying to oh. dig up dirt on him. Okay. He was hoping I was going to say they were out doing blow and all this stuff, or he was violating the paroles, his terms of his parole. Oh, okay. Or, you know, he was trying to gather info to take into their divorce battle. So, 
Yeah, this whole wow. freaking thing comes out. Now, it turns out when this guy was like 16, he was a meth addict. He and a buddy decided to rob a mutual friend of theirs that they knew was coming back from a drug deal with cash. And he stole a gun from his mom, gave the gun to his buddy. They robbed the guy. It went sideways. They shot him. They both went to jail for murder because that's how the laws work. You know, if you're complicit. His crime, friend you know. shot him. Yes. And it was, yeah, his friend shot him. and they But he was an accomplice. Her. Sure. Yeah. He supplied the gun and he well, was there. It was his idea. He stole the gun. And when you uh, commit a crime with somebody, whatever felonies happen, you're both on the hook for it. So, In yeah, concert. this guy, this guy, yeah, this guy at age 17 went to San Quentin. Wow. Yeah. And from age 17 to 37 or whatever it must have been, was incarcerated his entire formative teenage and adult years. So we're not even talking about somebody. We're not even just talking about a murderer for Jamie and your children. We're now talking about somebody who has grown up in the prison system and has been there and, and institutionalized and has a very slight shot at a normal fucking life or providing right. a normal life for anyone yet a, let him let alone himself you know can you imagine what this man went through Ugh. in San Quentin for oh, all well, of these years we know i mean it's not a secret that uh i'm sure he's been raped over and over again going in at 17 one would assume i don't Tossing know that for a fact you know I, I just, so no one sues me i don't know that for a fact but Obviously, there was abuse and trauma and violence happening all around him. And sure. I, I mean, just a terrible, terrible culture. I mean, I, on one level, I give the guy credit for surviving it all. And he did seem to, you know, try to right his wrongs. Like he got a pseudo college degree while he was in there. And, you know, Jamie and eventually my kids' whole contention was he's reformed. And the problem with that was, well, if he's reformed, why'd you lie to me? Like, how am I supposed to trust you around my kids if you started off lying to me? You should have come out and just told me the truth. Then that would have put the onus on me to believe in second chances. I would have been a dick, you know, if I I doubted it. But, you know, fast forward to the end of the story. Uh, Charlie does seem to be a good guy. He does not want to ever go back to jail. I don't think he's ever going to murder someone again by any means. But the... The offense that you would lie to me and be alone around my children while no one's telling me that you're on parole, let al- on parole for anything, let alone on parole for murder. I mean, it was just the height of my ex-wife keeping the truth from me. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, you know, and my kids have now said, like, well, you know, he is a nice guy and we do like him. And you know what? That is wonderful. I'm glad it worked out that way so far. And, you know, at one point I was like, you know, the recidivism rate, meaning how many people go back to prison is like 60%. And they're like, ah, but for lifers, which Charlie was going to be, he got out early because he convinced the parole board, got a degree in psychology. Like, this guy's a charmer, okay? So either he's a really nice guy or he's a sociopath that knows how to charm people. I don't know. Jury's still out. But, Could you know, be they both. Told me, exactly. They told me, hey, the recidivism rate for lifers that happen to get out is only 1%. So I said, okay, uh, Brewski, let's do a quick experiment. I put a bowl in front of you with 100 M&Ms. Go ahead and eat one. Did you eat one? Well, of course I did. Okay. 
Now I tell you one of those M&Ms was poison. Are you still alive? You doing okay? For the moment I am, yes, but you okay, never know. All is well, I... right? Are you pissed at me that I almost killed you? Because it worked out in the end, so that should justify everything, right? No, necessarily, because <laughs> who knows? I could, I, could, I could possibly have eaten the poison one, and it could right. get me later on. You could still die, or just I gambled with your life and t- you know kept you in the dark, and it worked out, so you shouldn't be mad at me, right? You only had now, a one in a hundred chance of dying from something I did directly to you. Come on. And yeah, and you only mess with my head and that sort of thing. Right. Now I'm stuck in my head for all this <laughs> right. time. Like I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. Dude, here's the thing, though. I mean, uh, and I thought about this, and I'm sure you did too. The thing is, is that when this whole thing went down, had you not completely uh, had your kids. I don't know how you did it, dude. I don't know. Uh, Jamie could have not seen the kids. I mean, you could have grabbed full custody right away from her. Oh yes. And and, and I and and there's was part of me that wanted you to do that, and then the reasonable side of me thought, you know, the kids love their mother, and yeah, and you know, yes. uh, so it was going to be punishing the kids. You did. Sure. Yes. But fuck me I, for uh, I would have had such a difficult time making that decision. She put me in a no-win situation. She lied to me. She kept the truth from me yeah. and put me in a situation where, you know, months later, I'm now learning the truth. What was I going to do? I, I could go to haul her into court, spend a year, tons of money I didn't have, and then take take the kids away from their mother, which was right. really just going to punch right. the kids. I mean, I was in a no-win situation. And yeah. she knew it, too. Of course. She knew it. Of course. And I could tell you a hundred other things she lied to me about during the whole divorce. Like, I tried to give her the most amicable, sweet divorce ever. You know, you take everything. I'm leaving. We're going to start dating. We're going to meet each other's people. We're going to make sure we're doing this as a team, as a family unit. And, and yeah, she totally fucking lied to me and brought a murder in, which apparently it's all worked out great. So that's fine. But fuck you for taking that gamble on behalf of me and the kids and yourself, by yeah. the way. I mean, you're putting yourself Pretty alone selfish. with this person. Selfish, yes, yes. <laughs> so that is the uh, key word for uh, Jamie at this point. Uh, like looking back, I mean, she really is a selfish person. Yes. Well, and 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 as I said earlier, for anybody who, I mean, if anybody met Steve's ex-wife, you would realize that she's an attractive woman, and and there's no reason why she couldn't right. date any number of other guys that <laughs> yes. were murderers. This is the thing. When you get divorced, <laughs> you have a chance to trade up, you know? You can yeah. you want to find somebody with as little baggage as possible, not none because that's impossible, but you want to yeah. find somebody with a little baggage as possible and ideally you want to trade up, you know? Yeah. And I'll that's kick what I coverage. did. Yeah. Yes, I traded up. She traded way the hell down. And that's <laughs> part of the psychology like it, the the guy on parole is never going to cause waves. He's never going to question her. Or push. She's always got the trump card. Well, I didn't murder someone. I didn't spend twenty five years in prison. You know. So maybe that's what is the psychology here that he's under her thumb where I never was. So here's the fucked up part, though. Is that, yeah. And I, you know what? I think about this. Uh, I think about this with my sister. Okay, my sister got remarried, and the whole relationship went at fucking warp speed met the kids at warp speed dad was not uh, involved in any of the decision making it was just a it was just a fucked up situation i i have ended up liking her new husband he's a very nice guy <clears throat> but things were happening in the relationship where like 
I questioned. She would never be alone with me. <clears throat> I would ask her to go do things on her own, and she would never do it. Like, uh, mm. I'm, and so I started to question, like, oh, is this guy controlling, or, or is this guy abusive in some way? You know, um, because we used to go do stuff on our own all the fucking time. So why now? I and that's all I could think of. But my thought process was that now that she is in this relationship with him and she's not doing things alone with me, even if she was being abused or he was just uber controlling, now she's in a situation where she can't tell me that. And that's, mm. what, I, that's what I worried for Jamie is that now right. that she's got you to think this, everything's cool. The kids right. like them. They're telling you this. If it goes south, she can't admit that. She can't tell you, dude. Yeah. She cannot tell you without blowing the thing completely up yes. and embarrassing herself. Yep. And will she do that? No, I don't have faith won't. in it. My no. only hope is that the kids, if something abusive or out of line <laughs> starts happening, that they would come to me. But even at that so. point, what am I going to do? The last person in the world she wants advice from is me. We're telling sure. her what to do or whatever. So, yeah, well, you know, it's it's quite a cluster. At least you can get your kids the fuck out of there if you know if you were to find out something's going on. Yeah, at yeah. least you could get them out. And you know, if you call me, I I know a few guys that might be able to <laughs> take care of that for you. Johnny you know two what's fingers, so funny? Do you know how many of, people if, if, out of state too? So, right? <laughs> I kid you not. And my mother is on this list. I have had multiple people offer to help me bury a body. Obviously joking if this is being read back in court someday, but <laughs> I have had multiple people say, you need help burying that body. You tell me when and where. Like, Yeah. I mean, right. I've had people tell me, like, how did you not just wig the hell out? And like I said, I was painted in a corner. What what could I have done, per se? So Yeah, yeah. for sure. Ah, so there's Crazy that. shit, dude. Crazy shit. Now, listen, I've got one last sort of series of little updates going on here. Um, perhaps we should end with that. Um, Nick, if you don't have any other major stories, I think Brewski has a uh, major story that we should include in our getting up to current events, and then we should uh, wrap up this broadcast. Oh, you want to? Okay, you don't want to hear about. You Listen, hear dude, about we're going to do a whole freaking probably show about everything that went on with that. But yeah, as far as highlights of your life, I feel like we should at least include it in this little recap of getting to know the vocal minority crew. Well, if I can just throw something real quick here before I get into that. Uh, so four months after my dad passed, my mom passed. Mm, geez, dude. Um, from the from the very disease that 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 I spoke to you about earlier. Yeah. So and I know and the reason why I said it is because if my sister listens to this, she's going to say, how come you didn't talk about mom and all that sort of thing? Of course, of course. You know, um, but so, so four months after my dad, almost four months to the day, my mom passed away. Oh. Uh, she, uh. Did, she passed here at home with Becky and I. We were by her side in her bed, and um, uh, when my when my mother was really fading, uh, you guys will know this song probably. My sister played "The Times of Your Life" by Paul Anka because mm. my mom loved that song and she loved Paul Anka. And so, as my mom was kind of real fading, my sister put that song on on her phone, and we held my mom's hand as she passed. Wow. Wow. It's yeah. a beautiful thing, man, because I know uh, I know your mom really did love Paul Anka, and she got to meet him, didn't she? I mean, oh, she watched shows. And... Yeah, yeah. Back when she was in, in her late <clears throat> mid-20s, she had this wine glass in a box, and she had this note written on it that uh, she was at this show and that 
um, Paul Anka held her hand while she was singing, and she wrote mm. that on the box, Aww. and she kept that glass for all those years. And no. I know, I know, there's some people that seems kind of corny and everything like that. Um, Not at but, all, like, dude. but but when you're into a, into a singer, especially a singer like Paul Anka, you know, yeah, my, my, that was just kind of my mom's thing, you know. Yeah, for um, sure, dude. And I, cool. I, I, I'm so glad that she found some uh, peace in all of that. And yeah. like I said before, with your father, dude. I mean, I don't think there's a more beautiful thing for a family in general, but for a parent to have both their kids like that beside by their side as yeah. as they go on into the next world, whatever that may be. Yeah. Uh, it's a hard journey to make, but boy, what an admirable one, man. And, and I'm sure that your mom loves to see your dad, dude. I'm, I'm sure she loves sure. to see him because I know she, you missed them so much. I'm glad you guys got to be there. I'm also sorry you had to be there, man. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yep. And well, here's the thing that Steve wants me to tell you about. Yeah. Do, I, do, you want, do you want me to play the tape? Uh, I mean, it's uh, it's two yeah, listen, minutes and 40 seconds of should, the original. Yeah, I, I think so. I don't know. Brewski, it's your news. How do you, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell it live. It's fine. Okay. I have a kid. <laughs> Boom, there it is, everybody. There Boom, it is. there it is. Yeah, and if I... that wasn't shocking enough for you, I mean, we should just back up just briefly here. <laughs> Brewski, how old are you? I am 51 years old. Have you ever been married? I have not been married. All right. and uh... For the first 50 years of life, did you know you had a kid? No, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's set it up as just to let people know that you were flirting around on Ancestry.com to find out uh, familial matches and some things about your grandfather and, and such. Yes. And you found out much more. And how did that work out? Okay, so I, I, I first did this, the regular Ancestry thing where you look up your family and all that sort of stuff. And then I, I saw the Ancestry DNA thing. And I just said, hey, you know what? I'm going to give that a shot. Sure. So I ordered the kit. I spit into the little vial, sent it off. And then uh, they send you a thing, tell you your results, and they tell you where your your DNA comes from around the world. And not surprisingly, right. I'm you know this pasty white guy. You know, most of my DNA comes from Ireland and Wales and Scotland and and Canada. that was your main thing, right? Like, where am yeah. I from? You're not looking to find other humans you're related to. <laughs> Certainly, children oh, of yours, right? Oh no, no or siblings. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. found more than a child, didn't you? I Jeez. did, I did. And I had no idea this was an ancestry thing, that you could open this sort of level of can of worms to find out that you got siblings and a child? You're shocked, uh -huh. dude. You're <laughs> so, behind the curve on it. Congratulations, it's a boy. Yeah, exactly. So I get this email. Well, first, for, well, first of all, I met my half-sister on there, and she tells me at one point, hey, by the way, I've got this guy, Brendan, who wants to, he asked if he could have my, your email address so he can contact you. And I thought, okay, well, maybe this is another one of the guy that got my mother pregnant and Lisa's mother pregnant, but dumped both of them. Um, maybe this is one of his kids and it's another sibling. Right. So I said, I said, no problem. Give her my email address. It's so good. <laughs> so then one morning I wake up and we all grab our phone in the morning. We look at our phone and I look at my email and I get this email from someone named Brendan McNamara. Sure. And it doesn't, it doesn't the, the last name doesn't quite hit me right away. 
So then what so I'm reading this email and I'm like, wait a minute. I, I have to like get up and like clear my eyes some more. I'm like, what the hell is this? And it was turns out that this was my son <laughs> reaching out to me, telling me that what did he the email will- say, dude? Let's, tell me what the email said. Uh, did it say hi, Dad? Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm Brendan. Well, it, it, it may have. What I should probably do if we go into this in depth is I'll find the old email okay. and then and then we'll because it's in my it's in my Gmail. I know it is. All right. Okay. So so basically, he starts telling me about his mother, and as soon as he said Megan, and as soon as he mentioned uh, Indiana. And Chicago, I just it, it all came back to me, and I said her name out loud, Megan Mary McNamara. Oh my God! So when I was 27, before I moved to Seattle, I had gone out a few times with his mom, and things kind of things kind of <laughs> happened, and uh, and then so I guess what happened was she got pregnant. She knew I was going to move to Seattle, and she also knew that I was moving to Seattle not for a radio job. But a corporate job I had at the time. Yeah. And, um, but that while I was in Seattle, I was going to use that opportunity to try and to get into radio in a new market. And so she told her that she told him that he was going to Seattle. He had this radio. Cause at the time I was working my corporate job. There was no phones also- in Seattle back then. So, you know, kid. I yeah. still don't understand how she didn't get a hold of you. Dude, she that, kept this from you. You got a woman pregnant, and she knew who you were and where you were, and she never told you you've got a son? And well, I don't want to try and rile Bruce Lee up about this. <laughs> I'm riled up about it. He yeah. sort of let it go. But, I mean, it is crazy, Brewski. you got to admit that. It and is- it's crazy that you went on a website to find out if you were really Scottish or <laughs> Irish and like, oh, I have a son at age 51. He's in his yeah. 20s. He's graduated college. Like, holy shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 is, it is absolutely nuts. And um, <laughs> and about it, she, she, knew, she knew who I worked for at the time, too, because I worked for a very well-known upscale retailer. Yes, and, she could have found you. Yes, yes. Yes, of course. And, and uh, oh. said, hey, Hey, by the way, and so yeah, so I moved to Seattle and I moved to Seattle in September of 1998 and he was born in March of 1999. Wow. Wow. 1999. It's 2021 when you find out. Yes. I mean, that is Incredible, dude, that you didn't know that. And now, well, like I said, I don't want to get you riled up, dude. But listen, that part of it is utterly crazy. But holy crap, you have a son. You're a father. I know, of all people. I mean, (laughs) jeez. You know? And again, we were talking about the struggle poor Nick and Rachel are having. And you got a kid you don't even know because no one wanted to tell you. (laughs) No one one bothered. It's unreal, Nick, you could have a kid dude. somewhere. Maybe you just go on Ancestry. You could have a kid tomorrow. Well, That's what well, I've well, learned from this. So, so, <laughs> so, so ordinary, ordinarily, yes, I should be completely off the walls and angry and that sort of thing. Well, but you're like with me in the murder. Like, what are you going to do? It was 22 yeah. years ago. What are you going to do now? Yeah, exactly. Um, I guess so. I want someone to get mad about right. Damn it. I, <laughs> I want someone to be mad. So here's so, but here's, so so here's the thing. 
Yes. So, so Daddy here, Brewski. Here, here, here's the thing. Oh, hey, Brendan's on the phone, everybody. <laughs> Daddy Brewski. So when, when we finally oh. met, and I, I met him, actually, believe it or not, at Syracuse, New York. Okay. I believe he was. He was in. That's he was the in... most believable part of the story. So don't worry about <laughs> yeah. that. So he was wor- at the time. He was working for the Wake Forest University football team, and they were playing uh, a game against Syracuse. And so I drove from Boston to Syracuse. It's like a three-hour drive. I met him at the team hotel. We hung out in the bar. We ate corned beef sandwiches together. We drank beer, and we but we talked a lot. And um, was I it found awkward out, at first, or did you guys just click immediately? You know what it is? I, I, we he and I clicked immediately. Uh-huh. Uh, like like as soon as because like father like son. No, we somewhat look alike, not totally, but yeah, we somewhat you look, look alike. Dude. You look you alike. Do you look alike? Nick and I have yeah. seen the picture. You look alike. I, if I see a picture with you next to him, I'd be like, "Oh, yeah, that's, that's your nephew yeah. at the very least." <laughs> yeah. So, Daddy um, Brewski, but, can I have a toy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you owe him a lot of back birthdays and Christmases. Come on. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> so, so, anyway, so we talked, and he gave me kind of the lowdown about where he grew up and how he grew up. And wow. to be honest with you, uh, here's the thing: his mother has six siblings, and they all and they all have like at least three kids each, and they were all around the same age as him. And they all grew up within two streets of each other. Uh, he grew up yeah. next door to his grandparents. Yeah. And he went to school with all his cousins. After school, he went to his grandparents' house for like snacks and doing homework and stuff. So he had all these cousins that were like his siblings. Uh-huh. And so in that sense, I'm kind of like, okay. But at the same time... He lived an idyllic life. He didn't need to know he had a Daddy Brewski, can I? Have I need a bottle? Feed me. Dude, I'm glad he's lived a good life, obviously. But, man, this is a crazy story. And I feel so... I feel bad. I don't. I don't know what the right word is, brother. I feel, but I just here's the thing. I, we I shouldn't feel bad. Feel bad. Like, I don't know. You you were you were you were robbed of years of getting to know your son, and that will always break my heart for you. But obviously, yeah. I'm glad you have found him now, and you guys are you know getting along. You're forming a relationship. I mean, that's that's the cool part. I mean, yes. maybe it wasn't. Maybe this is you know the universe works in weird odd ways. Maybe yeah, this was uh, how it's meant to be, and you weren't ready for him. Maybe he wasn't ready for you. And now you guys both find each other at a, a moment in time, a place in time where you're both capable of having a relationship that's going to be productive and loving, dude. I'm, I'm excited for you. Well, it's just yeah. a tough one, pill to swallow. It, it, it is. It is. And at this point here, like, okay, so on Father's Day, I'm out working. It's a Sunday night, and he texts me, "Hey, Dad, Happy Father's Day." <laughs> and How does it feel to have somebody call you Dad and wish you a was, Happy Father's Day? Like, it's wow. weird. It's totally weird, right? <laughs> I bet. And, but, and, and here's the the other part of it is that I don't know how to respond back because I'm not somebody like I would call my son son. Well, thank you, son. Right. You know what I mean? You um, want to call him chief? Yeah, sport, you know. No, no, but you know what I have done is <laughs> is is that so the the comedian Tom Segura whenever he used to talk about his dad and he would his dad would always call him buddy. Buddy, we did this this and this. 
So I thought I'm like, hey, I love you too, bud. Good to good to thank you for sending me the message and that sort of thing. Because son just seems so. Um, I don't call my son son. That's weird. Yeah, you, you know what I mean. You know, I, <laughs> yeah. and uh, I can't call him B. You know, or anything like that. You know, <laughs> I, I get it, dude. I get yeah. it. So I just I just call him buddy. I'm like, hey, thanks a lot, buddy. I really appreciate it. I love Do you, you too. Have you, does he tell you he loves you? Oh, that's yeah, a good question. But, have you guys done that? No, yeah, but because here's the thing. Even though we've only met one time, yeah, we we have talked extensively on the phone, via email, via text. Wow. And and the and the thing about it is is that you really we've really gotten gotten to know one another really well. You know, um the one problem the one thing I don't he's a lot more conservative than I am. Mm-hmm. And I mean that in like like his, he grew up in South Bend, Indiana. His yeah. his mother's Could conservative. Strong liberal influence. His his grandfather is like a um, like a town town elected official, big time Republican, and that sort of thing. And my son identifies as Catholic. I mean, I grew up Catholic, but I'm non-religious. You know, like right now he's living in Minneapolis because he's working at the University of Minnesota. And I'm just like, dude, why aren't you going out to bars? You live in a, a college town with all these chicks you're, around you. You're and a good influence already. Let's go. <laughs> but, but think about it. If you're, if you're, if, but if you're 24 years old and you live in a college town, this is the perfect time to, to go out and be social. Mm, it is. I mean, he works at a college at a very large <laughs> university. You know, I don't, I don't know what the. Um, Dude, listen, well, how- you got a lifetime of influence to put on this guy now. So between politics and socializing and everything else, you got a lot of catching up to do. But I'm so yeah. happy you have the opportunity. And just I can't even sing your and his praises enough that you guys were both willing to do this and have embraced it and that there's not animosity and all that stuff. I mean, it's it's impressive. I, I don't have any animosity to his mother. I've never I haven't Fantastic. spoken. I haven't spoke. I haven't spoken to his mother. Um, I just don't feel like comfortable doing so. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. You know. Um, uh, no, him... I get it, man. I mean, uh, congratulations on being a dad, and congratulations yeah. on dealing with this so well. I'm gonna have to do ancestry now for a, a segment on the show, so I can find <laughs> out what the hell is out there. Because I can't even believe I, you know, th- th- this has never been one of those TV commercials. It's always about I thought I was Irish. Turns out I'm Scottish. Not hey, it turns out I have four siblings and a son. Didn't know yeah. that. Ancestry.com. Thanks. Are you Thanks gonna do it? Lot. I have to now. You do? I have to for good radio reality entertainment. <laughs> I, I don't know that I can do it yet, dude. I don't know if I can do it. Ooh, there could be try. some skeletons out there. I don't know. I don't know what my parents were up to. You know, I, you know, I mean, I'm I'm 99.9% sure I have no kids out there, but apparently who I, knows? What I, mean, I may do, I know about. I may do it and have the results sent to you. Mm. And that way, uh, you know, uh, if there's results you know I won't want to know, you could keep it from me and never speak of it again. Great. Yeah. Good. Thanks. Well, <laughs> well, you know, because so the, when we when we do this show, I'll I'll share my screen and I'll show you the the map of where it shows my my results come from and that sort of thing. Uh, I get to Let's, see uh, me opening the letter. Here's Nick result. Nope. There's nothing in here, man. Let's move on <laughs> to the next segment. <laughs> Can we play the uh, voicemail that you gave me from your son? Yes, <laughs> please do. I just want voicemail. 
Daddy Brewski, I have a Catholic cookie for you. Call me, buddy, please. I love you, Daddy. Wow. wow. How did you get that? How did you wow. get that? It's active just voice I, mail, man. Yeah, it's active voice. It's those Russians from earlier. They're still hacking. Oh, so. yeah. Holy crap. Well, we'll certainly yeah. be talking more about this, but uh, <laughs> wow. So you have a son. Yeah, yeah. So I do. Wow. It's fantastic news. And yes, we will uh, dive oh, deeper yeah. into this. Of course, it's uh, up for more conversation later. Always. Yeah. Congratulations, Absolutely. Brewski. Thank you. Thank you. Let me uh, finish my updates. And then for the audience out there, we will be caught up to 2022. And our next show will be what we plan on a normal show being. However, we will always be sprinkling in stories about our own lives. We will always be relating to these things that have come up. And, uh, you know, I hope the show has gotten uh, given you a chance to get to know us all a little bit. So, so there's that. Episode one down. Well, let Episode me, one is down, dude. I have a new segment that we're going to be doing on all future shows, at least till further notice. So here's, my, uh, here's the last round of my updates. So on... On Christmas Day, uh, seven, eight months ago, whatever, Christmas Day 2021, um, I proposed to Hillary. Ah, yeah. Congrats, by the way. Yeah, Thank congratulations. You. We were, uh, it was in a snowstorm in Lake Tahoe. I took her out on the balcony. I got down on one knee, did the traditional thing, and uh, I proposed, and, uh, and she said yes. So Fantastic, dude. Engaged to be married. We then fast forward into January. We all got COVID. That sucked. Uh, she and I did, the kids did, that's a whole other story. My ex drops the kids off on a Sunday. Is like, Hey, by the way, they seem to have a little bit of a cold. I'm sure it's no big deal. See you later. Ah. And I test both kids. They immediately come back positive. Like it was a whole, it was a whole nother. She like, knew, dude. Come on. Or she just didn't think it through, which is par for her course. So yeah, so we, all, <laughs> we all got COVID and then, uh, into, I think it was March. So we've been renting a house in Lake Tahoe. And everyone's heard that during COVID that the housing market just went crazy, right? The house prices right. went crazy. Yeah. yeah. Lake Tahoe was one of two markets in a, in America that saw an 80% increase in pricing and uh, activity. Like if you think your town went nuts, Lake Tahoe went tenfold nuts. And we found out in March. Eightfold. Exactly. We found out in March that we were losing our rental house. Uh, I had already lost a rental house a year prior where somebody sold it to some rich people that wanted to buy a house in Lake Tahoe, lost that house, found another house that was mildly affordable. And then we found out we're losing that house. And we had, I think at that point, it was six weeks to go find a new house. Mm -hmm. And the housing market in Lake Tahoe, you know, a house that I could have rented when I got divorced for 2000 a month was going for four and $5,000 a month. Good Lord. Dude. Yes. I read articles about, you know, in Miami, prices went up 30% from 1000 a month to 1300 a month. 2000 to 5000 because all of these Bay Area, Silicon Valley fucktards were up here buying <laughs> up all the property, spending way too much on rent, and it drove the market crazy. So we lost our house, and the reality was we could not stay in Lake Tahoe anymore. I'm not paying five, even if I could afford, which I can't, even if I could afford five grand a month, I can't do that on rent. Who yeah. wants to do that? No. So we had to move. So after 15 years, 16 almost, of living in Lake Tahoe, I was, I was forced out. And there was a mixed blessing going on here. Hillary had owned a home that she was living in when I met her. And when she moved in, she kept the house. And because we were now engaged to be married, she decided that she was going to sell that house because the value of the house had gone way up. 
So she took advantage of that side of the market and sold her house in Sacramento Valley area of California and, and made some good money. And she basically came to me and said, listen, I'm going to roll this money into a house. I'm going to buy a home for all of us, for you, me, and the kids. And it was a, a blessing to say the least. But we couldn't afford a home in Lake Tahoe, so we had to go. Uh, we moved about uh, 20, 30 minutes away from Tahoe into the, uh, the outskirts of California. But the bad side of this was the stress that this brought about. You know, Hillary had been married years, years prior and um, got divorced in 2008 when the housing market crashed in California. Right. She had this house with her then ex-husband. She got totally screwed on it, walked away, had short sale, it lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. So this brought up all sorts of emotions for her as far as buying a home again and what happens if the market crashes, what happens if marriage doesn't work out. Like, it sent us both into a tailspin. Now, Hillary and I were never, we, we've had relationship issues, you know. Uh, we both have baggage and we had had, we, we've had some bad fights and we've had issues that we've been working on. But we used to have a bad fight maybe once every few months. And once this housing thing started and we started shopping for the house, we started fighting every few days. I mean, ah. it, was, it was just, it was constant. And we would get in fights and then she started bringing up the house. Like, you know, I'm doing this house for you. And they, you know, I just, I mean, she started holding the house over my head. It just, oh boy. Yeah, it got real ugly. And, you know, we moved into this new house. That's where I'm at right now. It's an amazing house. I absolutely love it. Um, but yeah, I was sad about being forced out of my hometown and the pressure that it has put upon us. Uh, it, it, it's been crazy. And the fighting has gotten pretty bad. And in the last month here, uh, I could tell you this whole story about, you know, I, we got in a car accident where a deer hit us. and It's just everything just spiraled. And these past few weeks have been terrible. And, um, you know, about a week ago, she told me that, you know, we're in couples therapy which we'll talk about that in a second. And, um, you know, she basically told me that, we, you know, we got to get back into therapy. And until we do, and our therapist was on vacation for the entire month of July here, uh, she basically said, you know, no deep conversations, no intimacy. I'm sleeping in the next bedroom. Uh, and so I, a few days ago, and Nick is not aware of this, I, I, I put the whole thing on hold. I changed our relationship status. Uh, engagements on hold. We're not actively dating. Uh, everything is frozen at the moment. So, wow. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was hoping to do this first show to have a, my fairy tale happily ever Woo. after story. But instead, this now becomes something that we're going to be discussing on the show because this is a reality for so many people that you've got, you've got relationship issues and can you solve them or can't you? And sure. does the exterior of life destroy you? Does our old baggage destroy us? Like, can people that are, you know, 40-something and divorced and having a second can can you salvage it? And that right. is officially where I'm at right now. We, uh, wow. We had started in therapy a little while ago, but uh, <clears throat> we are now doing the seven principles of making oh. marriage work, the Gottman book. So we're going to be doing a little Gottman update on this show. You guys are going to get to look behind the curtain at what's going on with my relationship. I love Hillary so much, and I am 100% committed to making it work. But things have gotten bad, and there's been some just completely out-of-line things happening on both sides. I think we both have a screw loose. 
Um, I would say hers is a little looser. She would say mine's a little looser. <laughs> right. This is part of, of the whole process we're going through. Yeah. And I will tell you, I've been reading this book. There's seven principles to the happy marriage, and I'm through five of them. And the first four, we get like A-plus scores. Like, we are freaking rock solid. But I finally got to the fifth principle, and this is where <clears> our problem is. <throat> we fight terribly. And yeah. things spiral quickly, and they get ugly, and they get hurtful, and things are said and done, and nothing abuse, no, no physical abuse or anything like that. But the fights get bad, and I'm a, I'm a fighter by nature of having done talk radio for years and being a debater and all that stuff. And she works in a corporate environment where men are always trying to, you know, talk down to her. So she's learned to, you know, puff up her chest and just push her way through problems. Yeah. And we're at this, you know, kind of terrible impasse, and so. Neither of us wants to give up on it, and I truly believe that if these seven principles can solve our problem, that, that life will get back to normal and we'll be fine. We're, we're short-circuiting ourselves. We're, we're creating a problem where none needs to be. We are so compatible in so many ways and are so freaking happy together, but these fights just have gotten so bad. And, uh, you know, we need help. And, yeah, as of right now, everything is, uh, is on hold. Uh, was it, was that a conversation? Uh, I mean, between the two of you or we did haven't you just really kind of lay out? We haven't talked much for the last several weeks and she's, you just know, small talk, right? Yeah. And you know, the kids were here last week, so we had to kind of put on a happy face and whatnot. And she came back to our bedroom and you know, the good news is last night was the first night the kids were gone and she still slept in our bed, which, you know, means a lot to me. It's very yeah. triggering. I told you that Jamie had, you know, abandoned our bed, you know, took yeah. off the ring, all that stuff. So, you know, this all freaks the shit out of me that I'm yeah. back in the same thing. Someone's going to abandon me again and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, both of us are committed to this and want to make it work. But, um, you know, I, I, I took the engagement ring off for right now and we need to get these things solved. And I truly believe we can do it. Um, there's so much good going on between the two of us that if this, if the therapist we're working with and if this book can help us argue and resolve disputes better, then I know we can do it. And, you know, the, I'm a little pissed at my therapist, quite frankly, because <clears throat> he's got this thing he does where he wants to, uh, what does he call it? Uh, I want to validate you. It's a very therapy <laughs> thing, right? Sure. So there's been a couple of times we're in therapy and Hillary will say something and he'll be like, listen, let me validate you. I just want to understand that what you're saying is, you know, makes sense. There's a lot of, you know, good stuff behind that. So let me validate. I've never been fucking validated yet in these therapy sessions. And I've been saying this, these two sort of principles over and over that I feel like, I feel like A, she's starting most of these fights and B, that if we could just be nice to each other, that none of these fights would have to escalate. Why can't we just be nice? Is that too much to ask Mr. Therapist? I never got a validation on any of those points. And now that I'm into principle five of this seven principles, it points out two things. Gottman himself says, A, the women in this stage tend to start most of these fights. So there is scientific data to back up the assertion I was making, but no validation for me on that. And his second thing is, you know, here are the five ways you can stop arguing like this. But what it really comes down to is just be nice to each other. Use manners is what he says. Be cordial, be polite. So I'm sitting here going, this is exactly what I've been saying. Like, we just need to be nice to each other. So why hasn't the fucking therapist said like, hey, let me validate you because you're literally quoting from the book I'm telling you to read. So I'm it's irritated, a, I'm irritated uh, by that, but I have faith that if it's in there, then we're on the right track. It's a tough one, though. Um, I, I completely understand what you're saying. 
Uh, Rachel and I have not had a marriage without difficulty for sure. You know, we've had our ups and downs and hills to climb and get over. Um, and I remember, dude, uh, one, this is probably about, uh, maybe seven years ago. Uh, yeah. Some of our fights, I would always say, you know what? You fight fucking dirty and I'm nice to you. I'm nice to you. I'm a nice person. I pride myself on trying to be fucking nice. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, nice isn't fucking everything. And it Mm. fucking caught me really hard. Like, I was like, first of all, I've never thought about it that way. Second of all, that's like half of my fucking identity, you asshole. (laughs) You know, it's so like that I was dropping certain balls and uh, thinking that uh, all was good because at the end of the day, I'm nice. Like, I'm nice about it. And and that may be what your therapy therapist is is talking about as far as like yes we need to be nice to each other but the reality is is that everyone in this situation is not always going to be nice the goal that we should be nice to each other we should have that goal Uh, and maybe for like for Rachel and I it really it was really hard for her to get my point of saying you know what before we sit and say shit to each other that we know we're going to feel bad about later and we can't fucking take back and we say it purely out of anger. Yeah. Let's both walk away and fucking try to de-escalate ourselves and think in peace and everything. And for her, it was really tough, dude, because she just wanted to keep fighting it out. That's yes. how she had been trained to to, yes. to get around it. And my, she's an attorney too, so... I was going to say, exactly. my, my marriage counselor <laughs> told me once that the two worst kind of clients I can work with are cops and lawyers because by profession, they are, they have to be right. And they have to put you in your place. And yes. she said with me, she said, I'm going to add a third category, talk show hosts. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And it is, I mean, it is, and it's honestly true. Like I understand that, but yeah. I know that in my but you life, don't have to be right. <laughs> you don't have to be right. And, and to take a breather, yes. we often find out that the point that we're trying so hard to make is not that important when we can step back from it yes. and yep. and frame it in a different way yes. and and everything yes. i think it's just so important and i hope that you guys find that it took me forever to find it and we still don't find it all the time mind you yeah. but uh it's got our our arguments have gotten a lot better being able to finally I mean, she said some terrible things to me. I said some fucking terrible things to her, dude, that I would be embarrassed to tell you that I said because they were so fucking mean. Yeah. yeah. And there's no good that comes out of them. No. You know, and isn't it no weird how we can lash out, out at the ones we love so hard? And ah. it's because we love. It's because our heart is open and we're vulnerable <laughs> and we get hurt and we're defensive by human nature. I can't. My dad used to say that to me all the time that unfortunately. We say the worst things to the people we love the most. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it is because we can get away with it. We know, for the most part, we'll be forgiven. Right. You let me, you know, it's Up that's to a certain why. point. Yes. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, Jen and I used to have some awful fights. Just awful. Uh, unfortunately, they did get physical um, with her striking me several times, mm. uh, bloody in my lip and that sort of thing. And, 
Uh-huh. You know, and her telling me like, well, what, what are you going to do? You can't touch me uh, because my no. her, her, her stepbrother. <laughs> well, and here's the thing. Her stepbrother is a cop in Lakewood. We were living in Tacoma at the time. And so. Yeah. What am I going to do? badly it, for you. Yeah, ex- exactly. You know. The original uh, now, BLM, Brewski Lives Matter. Uh, a cop would have fucking killed you. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he would have, dude. And that's that's what a situation to be put in, Dan. You know, yeah. and and but she just could just say the worst things, the absolute worst things to me. Yeah. And um, she just well, get really, really ugly. This is why I, you know, like we said at the start of this, like I want to be real, I want to be honest, because that's what makes us humans and relatable. But everyone goes through this stuff. There is no perfect relationship. Some are better than others, but um, and some people do it naturally better than others. But I, I truly believe that we're not stupid humans, that we can learn, that we can learn to take care of relationships better, that we can identify our own flaws, that we don't have to let something that's you know wonderful nine times out of ten just fall apart. So I'm going to be vulnerable and honest with everyone and let you watch my journey, and I hope that I hope we all can learn something from it. And either I'm going to show that if you do the work, you can succeed, or we're going to do Who Wants to Date a Podcast Host? And uh, I'll start over and try better next time, you know? That's yeah. where we are in the year 2022 on this 25th day of July that the vocal minority has signed back onto the airwaves as they are to allow us to get vocal, to allow you guys to get vocal, to talk about personal issues, professional issues, politics, pop news, pop culture, everything and anything. As the show continues, we will uh, obviously have uh, platforms in place where you guys can reach out and get vocal, dude. It'll be easier than ever, and that's yeah. all in the making now. But Yeah, we're setting that up. Honestly, by the time someone hears this, they'll probably be there. So search out the vocal minority, Nick and Steve, or whatever, but we'll get the official social media stuff set up. We're going to have, uh, we're going to do news. We're going to have uh, segments. We're going to have guests. We're going to get you guys trying to call in, whether you send us your number and we call you like, you know, it's a whole different world for us coming from talk radio. Uh, but we're going to make it work. We're going to get everyone on this thing and, uh, we're going to get vocal. We're going to be real. And, uh, I hope if nothing else, it makes you laugh, but maybe it makes you think a little too. And, uh, don't forget about karaoke with the cousin. Oh, I mean, no. uh, We'll have karaoke with the cousin. Cousin Brewski, always up for a little live karaoke action. Oh, would you look at that? Our uh, voicemail uh, line is blinking again. Let me just check our voicemail before we depart today. Bye-bye, Daddy Brewski. Thanks for being my daddy. Oh, Oh, wait, I got a a guest actually phoning in real quick. Do we have time just for a quick comment? Sure. Uh, This is Gottman. This is the guy that wrote the book about the seven principles of marriage. Uh, Line two, he says he has advice for me. Steve, I promise you, and this comes from years of experience, women are never right. Wow. Okay. That actually clears things up quite a bit, actually. Nice way to get into it, for sure. All right, I appreciate that. Thank you. Let's take uh, one more call if we can. Sir, you're on the air. Got to be honest with you, um, because, um, wow, um, because, uh, (laughs) go ahead, um, well, I'm not doing too good. Oh, you're um, not, dude. Come on. Wow. Um, uh-huh. Because, uh, wow. <laughs> okay, I'm going to hang up. Wow. Him, dude. Yeah, wow, well, wow, he was indeed. obviously not prepared. I mean, wow, indeed. Who calls on my telephone? <laughs> well, hopefully next time it's you guys. We yes. will uh, we'll get all this. I, I, You know, thank you 
for for listening to this if you've made it the almost five. we might have to do part one and part two for this thing you we might could. Have to. yeah i think yeah. so but thank you for listening and guys uh, it means the world to me that we had this dream we had this show and we have a chance now to right the wrongs of the past and yes. maybe Indeed. this is how this was meant to be that we needed this life experience to be put on the shelf and to to bring the show back nowadays because that's what we're fucking doing and i'm not stopping until this goes worldwide for sure. Thanks for the loyalty. Thanks for the friendship. And, uh, yeah, just the beginning. A new beginning. That's right. You're all champions. Champion. Uh, that was lovely. Yes, indeed. All right. Peace, peace. Yep. Peace, peace. Peace, peace. Another fine moment brought to you by the Vocal Minority.